Hello everyone, welcome to NFL Unwrapped, where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NFL. I'm your host, Corbin Weinerman, joined by my two co-hosts, Perry Aston and Christian McGowan. Guys, say hello. What's going on? How y'all doing? And remember, you guys can listen to our podcast. Last week, we were only on SoundCloud. Now, I am happy to announce that we are officially on the iTunes podcast app, so go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on there. And again, you guys can also obviously listen to us on SoundCloud, just like last time. Also remember to follow us on Twitter, at NFL Unwrapped. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinMRPK. Perry on Twitter, at Perry Aston, And Christian on Twitter, at McGowan75. So with that, let's just get right into it. Uh, really fun Super Bowl. We're going to get into that in just a second. But first, I just want to talk about the Jimmy Garoppolo extension with you guys first. Yeah, so just massive. Yeah, the full details of the extension. Five-year, $137.5 million contract, $74 million of that guaranteed. Just to put wow. it into, into perspective, so he is the highest-paid player in NFL history, and if he gets the full $137.5 million in those five years, he will have made more money in his first five years as a starter than Tom Brady did in his first 14 years in the NFL. But let's also let's, okay. But let's also talk inflation as well because money is yeah. thrown around but, like crazy. But still, nowadays, it's just so. a and really the, self, and the selflessness of Tom Brady when negotiating his contract. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, but I mean, for me, I'm going to jump right in. I know that we've all had debates about where Garoppolo is right now, where he, obviously we all think he is going to be. I think he's going to be great. It's just I don't want to jump the gun right now, but this contract is deserved. They're in a position to where they traded that second-round pick to bring him into town, to bring him to the Bay, and he won games for them. He's clearly the future. His stats aren't as great as everyone keeps saying. It's He throws for a decent amount of yards, but his touchdown-interception ratio wasn't the best and i'm not going to blame it much on him because he was a rookie learning a new offense and doesn't have much of a supporting staff around him there but yeah. still with what he was able to do on the 49ers at the when he was playing for the last half of the season was pretty amazing and you he's going to leave and you don't if you don't sign him this offseason so you need to pay him do you, christian do you think this is a little too much too soon do you think it's deserved i want to hear your thoughts um i think it's a little bit too much too soon but you could have gone with the franchise tag and uh, got him for a lot cheaper uh for that one year than okay. what you're gonna pay him um but when we were talking earlier uh what i said was that if we already have a good relationship with jimmy garoppolo and if you're within that organization you feel like that he is the man that you want to go forward with then you got to pay him that amount of money you you got to keep that relationship strong got to keep him uh wanting to be hungry and in the fight and it's not like they're going to eat up too much cap space with that right. uh, with that but move I mean, so he i don't think it's necessarily he games. deserves it's not a question of if he deserves it i think that with the position that he's in that you have to project of what he's going to be and you with signing a long-term deal like that projecting that's a that's an accurate estimate of if from what he's shown that that that's where he's at. Not not shown in the, in the small sample, but like you said, he's only been there for he had a couple weeks to learn the playbook. He has six, a six games. Very, he got to play six, six games. Six games, but he had very minimal time compared to having the whole off season, preseason, and the season leading up to that to be the core starting quarterback. So the numbers that he gave and how he played really surprised me because 
uh, learning a playbook on that short of time is extremely difficult, especially for two things, especially the amount of time. And that offense was ta- was tailored to CJ. I don't know how to say his last name. CJ Bethard. Bethard yeah. That was that wasn't an offense Bethard. tailored to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that Kyle Bethard. Shanahan and what he has. Uh, what he has on deck for Jimmy Garoppolo and what they have behind the scenes is how they came to that to that estimate because they, they have to know something. They're not going to pay this man like that if there's just no indication that he is a superstar. Yeah, well, for me, I agree with you. He's only played six games for the San Francisco 49ers. Prior to that, he in 2014, he played six games for the Pats. 2015, he played five yeah, those, those six, and they're not full games. Three, they're just appearances. The last last year, I believe he played three for the Patriots or two and a half while Brady was out, and then he got injured. Right? What twenty seventeen? Yeah, I think no, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. He made six appearances. Regardless, he's made twenty three appearances in his entire career. Six true starts as a starter for the San Francisco 49ers. Actually, it was five because he came in. Right. Uh, sorry, he five. He came in about halfway through, and he threw one touchdown and played a pretty good second half. But at the same time, I think it's a little too much too soon. I agree with you. They should have just locked him in for about the one year. But he threw for seven touchdowns, five interceptions last year, 1,500 yards. So he throws a ton of yards, and he doesn't throw a lot of incompletions because he, ho- he hovers around – 65 to 70 percent for his career so he's got a pretty good completion percentage but when it comes to touchdowns and interceptions it seems that when he does make mistakes it's an interception sometimes and i'm not saying that it's a crazy number but seven to five last year isn't you know you don't feel great about that but i want to get too hung up their supporting cast was subpar outside of left tackle and running back on the offensive end so interceptions for me it's not really He's supporting cast at that point. That's just but touchdowns. If he had thrown fourteen touchdowns, the five interceptions wouldn't be looking the as ratio would be a lot different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. I mean, I'll put my take in on this. Like you guys were talking about with the stats, the stats they do not scream top quarterback, top paid player in the NFL for sure. But again, there's different stuff you got to consider. Like you were mentioning, Christian, you look at the players he had around him. That offense was terrible um yeah and you look at the seven touchdowns five interceptions he had that five true games as a starter and christian like you were mentioning he had to come up and learn a whole new playbook so for him to only throw on the top of the hat yeah exactly and for him to only throw five interceptions in five games i mean 1500 yards he threw for almost 300 yards a game but that's impressive in itself, only throwing those five interceptions in five games. I think, like Christian, we were talking I mean, about it before. I guess for a rookie, five interceptions in five games, that would be impressive. But for the highest paid player of all time, that's no, but not you impressive. Take all the different, you take all the different variables into account, such as if there's no, a rookie. I'm not saying he was a rookie. I'm saying those numbers would be impressive for a rookie quarterback oh, yeah. or something like that, where it's like, all right, he's expected to make some mistakes learning a new playbook, yeah. but not that many yes, in five but years. Also, so look at this contract. We're talking this ginormous contract and is it too big too soon and has he shown enough that he is this you know the next chapter of the nfl himself he might as well make the logo with his face on it is what they're saying right now so i'm not saying is jimmy garoppolo their future is he a good quarterback because that's an obvious answer to everyone at this point and i think it was obvious to all of us that the patriots made a mistake letting him go but 
we're talking about this contract right now and the amount of money they're just throwing at him. I know it's 2018. I know money gets thrown around a lot more than it used to with, of course, what Corbin brought up with the Tom Brady statistic with how much money he made. But still, we're talking, is he worth it now? Have we seen enough? And I don't think anyone can say yes to that question. It's just... I think we all agree. Do I think it's the chance if do like Garoppolo walk this offseason? But I don't think. No, he but that's the you thing. You wouldn't. Him, you yeah. wouldn't have needed to have. A, you wouldn't have need. You wouldn't. You didn't need to give him that five years right now because, like Christian and I were talking along with you, Perry, before we started this podcast, you could have also just franchise tagged him for this year and then try to work. You had a whole year to work on right. an extension with him. And, you see, whole, and see what he's You got. had a whole year to see what he's doing as well. And the franchise tag, if you had franchise tagged him this summer, you would have been paying him less than what you're paying him anyways. Because right. the franchise tag, you either get paid top five average of the top five players at your position salary-wise or a 20% raise, whichever one is higher. So in Garoppolo's case, it would have just been average of the top five quarterback salaries. He's being paid the highest of any quarterback. So it would have been a slight drop-off in terms of total salary. I think the, it was just trigger-happy from the 49ers. I think they just... Got, they got excited and they just gave him this massive contract. And that's where I keep trying to revert back to if not does he deserve a contract, it's does he deserve this contract. So I I'm going to make the case that yeah. maybe he hasn't proved it to us as fans, but we don't know what's gone on behind the walls of the Fort Niners facility. There's very well maybe a chance that he has proved it behind closed doors that he is worth that money and, and we're could, not it privy. Could, it, could be far, it could be off the field as well. You could It could just be... He's the Messiah in the locker room. Like he is the, yeah. the only leader they've seen come through that locker room, and he just has a way with this team that they've never seen before. That could be a case as well. I'm just saying this is a ton of money for a guy who started five games for them, backed up Tom Brady for you know a lot of his career, and was able to showcase some talent when he was there as a backup and in preseason games. But we've still never seen enough. We've never seen the defenses around the league haven't had a chance. Yes, oh, sorry, yes. So obviously Garoppolo hasn't had a chance to continue to have a full offseason and have a whole preparation for him. But just like I was saying, the defenses haven't had a chance to adjust to him. So it's the same thing on the contrary. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, offense versus defense this year. Who, who can figure him out quickest? Which defenses he can figure out quickest? I just don't know. No one knows. So I just don't think... I think it was way too premature to give him this amount of money because what happens if next year is just not what it pans out to be? Everyone starts to freak out. Exactly, and you got that seventy-four million that you're guaranteeing him, anyways. One quick note about just Perry. You were saying how if he was a true rookie having those five interceptions, then it's a little more understandable because rookies will make mistakes, which is true. But also, most rookies when they go in to play quarterback, they're either sitting at the beginning of the year and then starting halfway through, or even if they're starting at the beginning of the year, they got that whole offseason to learn the playbook. Garoppolo's case, he came in, he was traded week eight. Yeah, he had a few weeks to learn that playbook. So it's only throw five interceptions. No that's rhythm with the wide receivers, no rhythm with the center, left tackle. No, There's no rhythm whatsoever. A lot of those interceptions, he's probably just guessing. He's probably just testing it out like a like a scientist in a lab. Just like we're saying, who knows? And I think that's going to be the biggest yeah. question going into this season is, is he worth this contract? Not, did they make the right move signing him to a contract? Because if they didn't sign him to a long-term contract at some point, they would be just as stupid as the Patriots are for letting him go. But yeah, for a second-round pick. Yeah, at this point, you only saw so much last year, and you're just lucky that he came in and played that way. I just don't know if... 
miss the amount of money that you throw out this quickly. But let's uh, let's think, let's really quickly to... before we move on. So two questions for you guys. First one: If you were the 49ers, again, we don't know everything that's gone on behind the scenes. Personally, no matter what he's showing in practice, I want to see it in a live game. Right. But if you're the Niners, do you franchise tag him or do you give him an extension? like this if not this exact extension christian what would you have done well i don't have 23 or 11 or 1 million dollars so <laughs> i would take the route that saves me the most money and i'd be franchise tagging him from the franchise tag is a device that was made for the owners of a franchise it's it's built for them so hypothetically as a franchise owner i'm going to use something that was built for me to help me um like I said, if I'm if it's my money, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay. Yeah, him, no, so. I, I totally agree. You franchise tag him this year, and then you go after this massive contract next year if he continues to play the way that he played last year, and you keep seeing the progression that you expect. Then you give him this amount of money and say, "Here's the keys. You are." We're literally going to paint your face on every street corner of the city. This is what you are the highest played player in the NFL. So you're not just the messiah of our team. You're apparently the messiah of the NFL now. So I think it's just too premature, but I'm excited to see how he handles this contract and goes into next season and see if the 49ers continue to win because that's the bottom line. They were winning. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you guys. I think it's just too much too soon. Why not have that full season to see what he can do? Um, but Perry, like you mentioned with the winning, that's the other question I wanted to ask you guys. So when Garoppolo became the starter the last five games of the season, the 49ers won every single game. You pay a quarterback this much amount of money, highest paid player in the league, obviously you're expecting nothing less than playoffs, if not more, hopefully Super Bowl for you within the next two, maybe next year. Do you guys think that Garoppolo can, at the very least, do you think that he will, not can he, will he lead the 49ers to a playoff berth next year? And uh, Christian or Perry, I'll start with you. I do believe so. If they can give him the right kind of supporting staff, I think if they can attack the draft the right way and really sign certain players that fit in the right spot around Garoppolo, they at least now know who is the cornerstone of that team. Christian, what about you? Say one more class. Uh, I think it's really going to be dependent on the, the moves they make in this offseason to add a little bit more firepower around him. Um, cause like you said, they're going to adjust to him at some point. Um, I think if they don't, if they kind of go how the Niners traditionally have in the past couple years and go defense in the draft, I see them being a team that just misses it next year. If they really start getting in their book and getting some offensive firepower behind them, I, I think they could be a playoff contender is in the short term. I think they could be close to winning, winning their division. Yeah, no, they, they look really good compared to how they were looking before this trade. And that's just a common denominator, Jimmy Garoppolo. So we are all in agreement that he's a winner, that he's going, that they're in the right direction, that they have to build a team around him. It's just, did they commit too soon and does is the hype too much? That's yeah, kind I, of... And I think that they... I still just think... Uh, I think next year, obviously, we got to see what happens in free agency and... Speaking of the draft, guys, we got a mock draft at the end of this, so that'll be a lot of fun for you guys listening. Um, I think as it stands right now, I'd say Niners win nine games next year, and they're probably just on the outside of the playoffs looking in, but definitely promising future for them. 
Um, we'll see how it goes. I so. think I think nine or ten wins sounds pretty realistic. Yeah. Ten wins would be a great season for them. Nine wins is still a great season for them, but it's just going to be depending on the rest of the teams in the division and how it flip-flops. I've seen a team that's been seven and nine make the playoffs before, so it really just depends on you getting lucky with how the other teams stack up. But at least you know that you're in that conversation now. You're not at the bottom end of the league with no direction and trying whatever quarterback wants to come play for you you at least have your leader on that team and you have spots to fill now. That's a better position than you were before this trade. So let's move on from Jimmy G. We spent a good amount of time talking about him, but I think he's worth the conversation. So we'll move on to what everyone has been talking about, what everyone watched this past week, the Super Bowl. Obviously, we had a ton of coverage before that, a ton of predictions to see how this game was going to turn out. And I think it really turned out another way than we all were predicting. Yeah. So let's get our all of our initial thoughts on the Super Bowl and dive into uh, kind of how the prop bets were last week and if the players that played in this game matched up to those numbers or not. So let's start with Corbin and hear your Super Bowl thoughts and how this game played out. Yeah, so really quickly before we get into our thoughts, let's just um, talk about the records that were broken in the Super Bowl. So some records that were broken in the Super Bowl. Most career touchdown passes in the Super Bowl, obviously Tom Brady with 18. Most passing attempts in the Super Bowl without an interception, Tom Brady tied his own record from 2008 with 48 attempts. Most playoff touchdowns for a quarterback-wide receiver duo, 12, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. They tied Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Uh, The first player to throw and catch a touchdown in the same Super Bowl is Nick Foles, obviously that huge gutsy play call on fourth down at the end zone right before the half and i don't know we're just really quick i don't know if anyone saw the video on twitter that we retweeted but it's a it's footage and you get to hear doug peterson the coach kind of going back and forth with nick Foles on this on this play and nick Foles brings up the possibility of doing this and it wasn't even a hesitation at all he says yeah let's do it that's it so it just showed the kind of confidence that he had not in just his players but his playbook and just that game, they knew that they can win that game, and they knew they had to take chances. So it was pretty crazy to see. Yeah, so I don't know if you, I don't know if you also saw there's a, a video, someone Snapchat making fun of Nick Foles uh, running and catching passes in pregame. Like, <laughs> oh, what is what is the quarterback doing? Why is the quarterback catching passes? He's so nervous. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, you don't know what you're doing because Philly special came to town, and he needed to catch the pass. Maybe if Tom Brady. Uh, you know, wasn't in the yeah. locker room deflating footballs and out pregame catching passes. He wouldn't have dropped a. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have dropped his own pass. But Corbin's got a couple more records yeah, to break. I just wanted records, to, so. to chime in really quick. Uh, most that. Super Bowl appearances by a franchise: ten with the Patriots. I didn't realize that they were up to ten. I knew they had eight since Kraft took over. I believe. Yeah, eight uh, in the last sixteen years. So that just shows a testament of the board nine since Kraft. Gotta be in it to win it. And then most Super Bowl losses by a franchise: five by the Patriots. Most points scored by a losing team in Super Bowl history, 33 for the Patriots. So that's just some of the records that were broken. Um, Just starting off my initial thoughts, one more record that's just unbelievable. Tom Brady threw for 505 yards. That's the most yards that have ever been thrown in an NFL game, whether it's preseason, regular season, or postseason, where the quarterback has lost. 505 yards. He didn't throw one interception. He threw three touchdown passes, and he lost the game. Amen. This this Super Bowl had almost no defense at all. One more record, just so many records that were broken. This just shows how little defense was played. There were, 
I'm going to try to look the exact stat up for how many yards were gained in this game, but it was the most yards ever given up in total of any game ever. Again, preseason, regular season, or postseason. If you watch the Super Bowl, you saw the most offensive game in the world. In but, the world. But that, that's what, that's what you're looking yards. to watch. When you're a fan and you're matching up these teams in the Super Bowl, and especially a team like the Eagles who – you don't show up every single year like the Patriots do, so it meant a lot more to them. You're going to play your heart out, and you expect your defense to play their heart out too, but at the end of the day, your skilled players are going to be the ones that shine in a, in a game like this. It's two offenses that... Is it, though? Because you said that's the type of game well, if this was the, if this was the Vikings, Well, if this was the Vikings or a team that's known for their defense and so happens to have an offense as well, then we can talk about how it wasn't what we expected and we wanted to see David versus Goliath, but both this was teams, the Eagles and the Patriots, both defense. teams that were had good defenses that were nothing special. They were they good. Were both top they were defenses. no, they were good. No, this is what I'm, not, I'm talking the Jaguars and the Vikings, the top two defenses in the league. They both were good defenses, but they both were going in knowing they were gonna tear each other apart with this offenses, both of them. They they knew that Nick Foles Nick Foles has Numbers that compare to Carson Wentz's for his entire career, people don't realize that Foles is about to win himself a massive contract and at and, and another place next year, not Philadelphia, well, he's got of course. One more year yeah, the yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be playing with another team whenever he's able to sign with a massive contract. But still, we we all knew this was gonna be a shootout. It was just gonna it, no it really surprised everyone that the Eagles were able to put up more points than the Patriots. That was really Yeah, yeah it was no oh, I really I'm surprised Tom Brady was able to throw this many yards. We're not surprised. Of course, yeah, he plays video. He's a video game, a human video game. We were just talking about this on the last podcast, how he can do things quarterbacks have never been able to do. So 505 yards would surprise me with any quarterback that you can name ever. But with Tom Brady, it doesn't surprise me at all. We all expected 400 plus, like it was nothing, like that was casual. So what, 500, that's another 100 for him. That's nothing for him. But Foles... We all expected around 300 yards. No one expected. No one out of the three of us. No one went with the under when he uh, projected 250. Everybody went with the over. So we all expected a lot of offense this game, and I'm happy to see it because that's the exciting games you want to yeah, watch. Our reasoning for him going over 250 yards, though, we all thought it's because they'd be down and they'd have to be passing to keep them. Right. The I game, mean, at least it was a game, though. They, they both had to. They're in the driver's seat the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a fun game to watch. Don't get me wrong; it's just really surprising to me how little defense was played by two defenses that, throughout the season, and especially the Patriots. After I think it was Week Five, I think they had the lowest scoring defense in the NFL. So just really surprising to me. And with the Patriots, so your quarterback throws for five hundred five yards. You don't punt once in the entire game, yeah. and you still lose. And the only sack that was recorded in the entire game was the last sack that happened with Tom Brady, which recorded that fumble. That was the only sack the entire game. So there wasn't a lot of pressure on the quarterback. These defenses weren't able to contain the receivers going deep down the field or even sideline to sideline. It was just which quarterback can outduel the other quarterback. That was all it was. And it, and it showed with Foles catching that that pass, and then it was almost like Brady and him were just trying to compete against each other because Brady tried to catch one, and Brady yeah, tried Brady tried first, to do it first, and, no, and Foles yeah. tried, tried to he say, I, "I can go do it." You know what I mean? So it just showed that, you know, whatever he can do, I can go do better. And it wasn't, oh, but this defense, we're gonna have to find a methodical way to, you know, scheme our running back and do this or stack people in the box to like. It was, it's just, it pretty much was just who can score the most, and I'm glad that. It was the Eagles this year because we got to congratulate the city of Philadelphia on their first Super Bowl victory ever 
Uh, so this was now the third time they've made it in the Super Bowl era and the first time they are able to win it. But just like we said, the Patriots are a dynasty. They're in this Super Bowl year in and year out. We're used to seeing it. We're used to them winning, but we're also used to them losing as well. Five Super Bowl losses. It's yeah. the most by any franchise. But lose it or not, you're in the Super Bowl. Imagine you know the most championship losses of all time, the series before the Super Bowl. That would suck even worse. At least you're making the Super Bowl every year and giving yourself a chance. And then it just so happens that you're the second best team so that been year. You've in the AFC still, championship game, what? Like 10 I think out of every, the last 12 years yeah, or something? Yeah, something like something that. Something crazy It's like just that. an insane testament to their consistency and their, in their entire organization from top to bottom. But I know, Christian, you brought up last podcast, of course, you having certain connections in the NFL and hearing things that you know aren't going to be reported on Twitter and just main mainstream kind of lines like that. You have your own sources. So I know that it was very clear that Belichick and Brady at the end of this year, they're going to be here next year. But what about years past that? It really just looks like they didn't win this year. They and if you don't, if if you really look at it this way, if the Seahawks don't blow that game by not, they they should have gave the ball to Lynch. They threw that interception. That's on. Oh them. yeah. They blew that game themselves. The Patriots didn't win that game. And then you also look at last year with the with Atlanta. They blew that game for themselves. They completely the wheels completely fell off. So if both those teams don't completely collapse in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady and the Patriots lose their last five Super Bowls. So that's if those two teams don't just get nervous and drop the ball themselves, the Patriots haven't won a Super Bowl in their last five. So I know Tom Brady is one of the most accomplished quarterbacks of all time, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but still he finds a way to get lucky year in and year out when it comes to and it's not like he is doing it. He goes out and he performs. He threw 500 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and didn't win the Super Bowl. It's because the team's never good around Tom Brady. They're never great. They're always pretty good. And it's just the next it's man up mentality. Coach yeah, it's a plug-and-play plug, plug team. It's, as long as Brady's playing and Belichick is coaching, it doesn't matter who's going to be playing around them. As long as you have a subpar defense, you know, like mid-level, 15th in the league or whatever, you'll be fine year in and year out. It's just going to be a matter of, Whoever's playing you is going to outduel Tom Dude, Brady or not, and that showed this the, year. But the Patriots have been top ten in defense ever since right. Matt Patricia. But, but just, who's now just the think about it. The Lions, but since 2012, they've been top ten in defense. So they've had help on the defensive side of the ball for sure. But yeah, offensively, yeah, it's just you just, have to look at it like this: the Patriots, if those two Super Bowls end the way that they should have ended. The Patriots have made their last five Super Bowls and lost all five Super Bowls. Yeah, so that's something that someone brought up to me, and I'm not saying that you have to look at it that way. But it was Give something. LeBron James. It, it was something that struck my mind a bit. I said, you know what? That is. Tr- it's not like the two Super Bowls they won out of those last five years were these massive, or at least one of them was this huge win. It's well, not. No, it was two that were like, whoa! How do you lose that game? Like, how do you not give the ball to Lynch? Are you serious? Like, everyone was like. Just give me the controller for Madden. Like, I got this. You know what I mean? That's what everyone was saying. And then for the Falcons last year, it was even worse. It was like, how do you, like, what are you doing? Like, how do you give up this game? So, if those two massive collapses, which might be two of the biggest collapses in Super Bowl history, don't happen, Brady doesn't have a Super Bowl in his last five appearances. But you can say that all of the Patriots Super Bowl appearances with Tom Brady, they've been 
one score games at the end of the game. Which so should be you could say that you could say that about every single one of those. You could say that about when the Patriots played the Rams and beat them with Adam Vinatieri hitting that the last tuck, second the, field the goal. The tuck rule. I you mean, all of this is just like Brady's. All of his Super Bowls. You when can you look say at it that are about so most things constant. in sports. Most things in sports, and that's what makes them so fun is that they are right. so close and they can right. go so many different ways. You can also you can attribute it to a lot of different things too. Right. The Seahawks stuff with throwing the ball instead of running that. Maybe that's Pete Carroll trying to outguess Bill Belichick. Right, no, of, of course. All I'm, I'm, and I'm not blaming this on Brady whatsoever. I'm just saying he's just been the beneficiary. He's been the one that's been able to get lucky on some of these. Oh, yeah. But if it's not for him, you're not in any of these Super Bowls. So you got to give him that yeah. credit. I'm just, I just wanted to bring it up, and I'm not saying this was something that came from my mind. This was something that someone brought up to me that I said, you know what, that is pretty interesting because out of their last five, the only two times that he has won have been major collapses, like some of the biggest in NFL history. So in recent history, the Patriots haven't been walking away with these Super Bowls at all. They're lucky to, you know, they're lucky to compete, but they're there year in and year out because of what a great dynasty they are. And also, when you get to as many Super Bowls as they have, you're going to run into luck. It's going to happen at some point. And it's also... It's not entirely luck, and I just think that we need to make sure the Patriots earned their Super Bowls. Even totally, though. totally. I, I was just bringing that up just to a point where it's wow; those are two huge collapses, and if those don't happen, that's five in a row. And it, and it's not Brady's fault, but it's the Patriots in general just always getting lucky in some sort. But look at look, our, our whole lives; it's just been them running it. So that's such a testament to their consistency. I don't see that. Being, you know, like you said, consistency. I don't see those collapses. I think those are nods to composure and consistency of the Patriots. Totally, totally, too. And stage. Completely. I'm just saying, you know, if you flip the table around and you got the Patriots in that kind of comeback mode or in the opposite with, you know, them being the Seahawks and just having to end it with one play, oh, well, you okay. almost say if it was the Patriots, they would have done it. You know, if it was anyone else that wasn't facing the Patriots and getting all nervous because they're about to take down the best team to or the best dynasty to ever be built in football. You know, they got nervous and fumbled the game, and that's kind of just playing and playing out. Like, there's a reason why everyone's still talking about blowing a 28-3 to lead. It wasn't, oh, the Patriots kept their composure and did this. You know, it, it was completely, but if, 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 in my mind, if it's the Patriots on the other end, they win those Super Bowls because it's the Patriots, and they're not going to lose their composure like that. So, I mean, then again, we're going back to what-ifs, but oh, well, that's, that's it was one something thing, interesting to bring up for sure. That's one thing about the Patriots, though, is that with Bill Belichick coaching, you're never going to count them out. Even in this Super Bowl from last weekend where they were down after the Eagles scored to make it 41-33, and they had, what, like 58 seconds? They tried that horrible lateral on the kickoff return, and they were backed up to the 10-yard line. Yeah, You still didn't think... You gave them a bigger chance to win than you would any other team, and most of that has to do with a combination of Brady and Belichick. Last year when the Patriots were down 28-3, to I still thought they're going to come back and make this interesting. I didn't expect them to win, but I thought it was going to end up being a good game. When that Zach Ertz touchdown was getting reviewed, if it was a catch or not, in my mind, I think everybody's mind that was watching the game, it was like, all right, that's it. The NFL already wrote this out. It's getting, it's going to be reversed. No touchdown. Brady's going to get the ball back. It's got this amount of time left. He's driving the ball down the field. They're going to win it. Patriots win. It was almost like 
please don't let that happen. Just from everyone just being, just because everyone, their mind immediately went to it. Because it said, this is too, too perfect because it's just how it's supposed to be. Brady is always in this position. He always makes it happen. Belichick is always leading them to this point in every single game. It's And people say it's lucky, the referees. It's not. It's just the fact that they always put themselves in those positions. And sometimes they get the nod, sometimes they don't. But right there when they were reviewing that catch, I could have swore when I when they started going about it and Chris Collinsworth was talking about, oh yeah, just watch, they're gonna they're gonna just completely flip the call, just watch, and every Patriots fan completely hates him now. Just bringing well, it's that just up. The, it, it's, it was. Just I, I was like, wow. It's the confusion that comes with what the catch rule is. Oh no, that's the, no. Now we're gonna talk about the catch rule. I'm just talking about the fact that we were talking about. Oh, it's almost like you never count out Brady when that play was getting reviewed. I did not just count out Brady. I said, Patriots win. That's it. It wasn't even count out Brady. Because you it, thought that they were going to flip. That was it. They were going to yeah. flip the play. They were going to get a field goal. Brady was going to lead the ball lead the ball down the field. He was going to win that game. That was it. It was already written. Everyone in, in the entire United States, sorry, entire states knew that. They, they all knew it. Everybody knew You've that. You've seen it so many times before. Why would you think anything differently? Right, exactly. No, the Even the intro, the intro to Madden is you have one drive. Who's the man you give the ball? Tom Brady. Yeah. And I, you hear every time my Xbox comes on, it's a little ironic now. But Right. And so um, it was just almost like, please don't let this happen because we all know what's going to happen. And it didn't. So the the Eagles pulled what no one expected. They're the underdog. Lane Johnson wearing that dog head in the championship series. They fully embraced being the underdogs. And they beat one of the best teams or one of the best dynasties to ever play football and for their first Super Bowl win. So congratulations to the city of Philadelphia who completely tore the city apart on their celebration. So congratulations to them. Yeah, so um, Christian, do you have anything to add before? We're just going to go to the Super Bowl prop bets and if we got them right or wrong. Uh, I'm out $60 because of that game. So <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah, we were telling you those prop bets and then you went out and bet on them. No, I, I found an idiot to bet me just on who would win the game, and I thought I was the smart one, so and I'm actually the, the dumb one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, Ron, if you're listening to this, have fun with my money on Mardi Gras. Don't, <laughs> don't wear a condom. All right, next, next one. All right, let's go to the Super Bowl prop bets. So if you guys listened to our episode last week before the Super Bowl, we just had a few prop bets, and we were just guessing what was going to happen. So Nick Foles, his passing yardage was over under 250.5. He ended up with 373. We all chose the over, and all of our reasoning was wrong, but we got it right. We all thought it was because the Eagles were going to be down. He was going to need to be passing to keep the Eagles in it. Uh, touchdown passes over or under 0.5, which was very surprising. We all took the over. He ended up with three. Interception, um, he did throw on interception. It wasn't his fault. Um, it actually hit Alshon Jeffrey right in the hands, bounced off, and then I believe it was Duran Harmon of the he Patriots was. who intercepted him. We all chose an interception for him, so uh, we all got all three of those right, actually. Yeah. Tom Brady, the over-under, 297.5 passing. Like we mentioned, he finished with 505 yards. We all he almost the doubled over. that. Yeah, he was pretty close, about less than 100 Scary. yards off. Touchdown passes, over-under, 3.5. We all chose under, and he ended up with three. Interception, I believe we all chose at least one interception. We all correct? chose about one. Yeah, and Brady, zero. yeah, Brady ended up with zero interceptions. As far as running backs go, Jay Ajayi, the over-under for rushing yards for him was 63.5. I know Christian and I both chose I went, the under. I went over. You went over? Yeah. Okay, so Christian and myself both got it right. 
Perry, you chose over, and it was close, 57 yards. LeGarrette Blunt actually did more of the damage. He had, what, 90, 91 yards? Yeah, and a touchdown. So pretty much what we thought, what I thought Ajayi would be coming up with yard-wise is what Blunt ran away with. Yeah, and the touchdown, you said. He stuck in that touchdown. You said Ajayi did that. No, that's not true. I I was the one that (laughs) said Blunt was going to take the touchdown away from him. It was too perfect with him being an expatriate, but I did say... Ajay was going to rack up the yards. Blunt was going to come away and steal that touchdown from him. But I was wrong about the yards, but I was right about Blunt's touchdown. Yeah, so Ajay did not score a touchdown. Perry, I believe you did say that Blunt was going to get it. I think I had said that Ajay was going to get the touchdown. Christian, I think we were both wrong on that. Um, as far as the Deion Lewis over-unders, so rushing yards over-under 53.5. He ended up with 39. I know... I chose the under just because you don't know which running back the Patriots are going to use. What did you guys choose for the over-under on that? Never bet on a Patriots yeah. running back. It's my life motto. Right. I, <laughs> I don't believe I went with the over. I think I went under as well. Yeah, so I think we did uh, over. One of us was I might have done over. For me, if I had to do before the game, Total yards. It, it looks right about 53.5. It looks right about what he should be getting. He came up with 39. He didn't come up with a reception because, of course, James White's the one that was the beneficiary of everything. Nobody expects what running, just like no you said, knows, never, yeah. ever bet on a Patriots running back. You never know. Uh, and, of course, Deion Lewis didn't score a touchdown either. That was James White. So... Ajayi and Lewis weren't the running backs to look at this game. It was James White and Blunts. So you never know with either it's of those a, two it's teams. It's a guessing game, especially with the Patriots. Under right. The running backs but Foles and Brady both put up two of the best performances in Super Bowl history. Foles threw three touchdowns. He caught a touchdown. Yeah, it, it's 373 yards. You threw, had, threw an amazing game. The only interception, like like what Corbin said, really wasn't his fault. Brady put up absolute Madden numbers, and he got a strip sack at the end of the game, but he's human too. He made one mistake. This game was not on him. That defense gave up 41 points. So if you're going to have to blame it on anyone, it's just the fact that the Eagles put up more points than Brady. And you can't blame Brady for this loss if you're a Brady hater, but just like we said, you can use whatever conspiracy theories you want to come up with the Patriots' wins or losses for the last decade or two but we're still debating the fact that there's so many wins and losses in the super bowl to debate so that's a testament to them like we said before. yeah so speaking of conspiracy theories let's move on to talking about just what happened with malcolm butler yeah that was so, a perfect transition. Uh, oh, yeah. christian i want to get your take on this first we haven't heard too much from you lately um what's your thoughts on that he really irked bill belichick and that was a. Uh... I, with the Patriots, you never know. I, I have the theory that when when everything's said and done in the book about what the Patriots has been written, there's going to be some wonky shit that comes out. So I see this as a Bill Belichick power move. Why he chose to do this, I don't know. It was just weird. It was weird. It was uncalled for. And I'm, I can't wait until someone writes a book on them and we get to find out what actually happened because there's – him coming him him coming in late or him being a little bit sick in the biggest game of the year doesn't seem the time to to punish someone to make your point but it's bill belichick he he is a molder of men he does what he does so i i trust he had his reasons to sit malcolm butler and we may so not agree with it but what i've heard what i've heard is that malcolm butler he went to a rick ross concert the night before and had a situation with marijuana as well. That's what was reported 
on top of the fact that he got IV treatment earlier in the week due to sickness, which actually plagued a lot of players that played in the Super Bowl. But he was okay to play. He did get reps with the first team the entire week. But what I did hear was there was something with the Rick Ross concert the night before, and that wouldn't have just slipped out for no reason. I believe that's what actually happened, and they were able to keep that on the wraps. But just like you said, Belichick's a molder of men, and he's not going to sit there and let – you know, a punk that wants to go party before, the night before the Super Bowl will get his way. If Belichick has to take that Super Bowl loss, he knows he's going to be back next year and try and redeem himself again. He's not yeah. going to let anybody get the last hand. So, it's I mean, crazy. that was his fault. It's crazy, but you have to respect it. Like, you, right. we're, we, most of us are going to be fathers someday, and that is some, that's some dad shit. Right. Real I mean, talk. Like that Belichick's is, not stupid. He, you know, he's not like an amateur coach where you're like, what are you thinking? Uh, what are you doing? You trust whatever he's doing that was, it was for a reason. So, that's why I think Malcolm Butler, uh, if you saw his Instagram post and his response, I think that that kind of relationship where he's going to see that as this is going to be better for me. This is my dad teaching me a lesson. So he, he's going to, in the end of the day, Bill Belichick and Malcolm Butler are going to be great friends because well, this is going to be a learning, this I, be a learning I, point I for think, him. I think the complete opposite. Malcolm Butler won't be in a Patriots jersey next year. I, no, least, I'm talking about in the end of his career. I'm talking about when he's an old man and he has kids and he looks back. He's going to look at Bill I mean, I don't know, the, the thank quote, you. He's never going to I don't think he's ever going to think that. Because it's not just this. You're not just sitting a random player either. You're sitting what would be one of the only Super Bowl heroes that you have. There's not a lot of Super Bowl heroes that get that title. And that's because he, you know, Tyree, those are all players that get that title because they happen to be labeled with that one play that won that game. He got that interception that we were talking about in the game, in the Super Bowl against the Seattle yeah, Seahawks. So this is a player that won you a Super Bowl. And people know that this is a player that won fans over with that game. He's your favorite player if you're a Patriots fan, and you don't play him, so that must have really pissed off that fan base. And that was a, it wasn't just, oh, what if he played? It would have been better. It was like his replacement, um, Rowe, gave up a ton of yards in the first quarter and well, ended up giving Eric up that Rowe. touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey before they had to pull him off Alshon Jeffrey and put Gilmore on him. So it wasn't just, oh, I wonder if the defense as a whole would have been better. It's just looking as simple as, how did his replacement do? Absolutely awful. So if you have Gilmore and you have Butler in that lineup, which you've been doing all year, and which clearly is working, and is why you have a pretty good secondary, to be honest. You sit half of them, you have half of your secondary in. There's a reason no, why right. they got torn up. You're 100%. No, I agree with you. It would have made a difference. It might have won them the game. But Bill Belichick has to wake up and look Bill Belichick in the face. And if that's his decision... No. I, I totally agree with you. All I'm saying is that's why it's going to piss off the fan base the most. Oh, 100%. It's not just a D lineman that really fucked around. It was the fact that this player, who is a Super Bowl past hero and a, one of the leaders of your defense, decided you know to be you know be this kind of person the day before and really go against rules, go against the culture of that team, and not take this day as seriously as it should be for you. I mean, this should be one of the most important days of your life. I know you've been in it before, and I know you've won one before, but every single time you're in there, it should be the same importance to you, and you should prepare the same way. Like, it's what you live for when you're playing football or any other sport. You live to play for a championship, and the night before, you're going to go and, you know, screw around and go mess up the chances for you to play in that game and clearly the coach wasn't having it 
it's a testament to his maturity. It shows that he didn't care very much, and he screwed that one up. And if you're going to blame it on anyone, you know, for him, for him not playing, you got to blame it on himself. It's not the coach. He did what the coach should do. But now it's a clear out for Malcolm Butler. We all can agree right now that he's not going to be a Patriot yeah. next year. Yeah, they, but, they, they were trying to move him last year. I don't see why, like you said, they're, they're if they were trying to move him last year, now they have an incentive to actually, actually move him. Oh, definitely. And he had – it was – an underwhelming season for him. His performance kind of took a step back from where it had been the last few years ever since really he had that heroic moment in Super Bowl 49. But Perry, like you were mentioning with the Super Bowl heroics of him, you don't play him because he is a Super Bowl hero. You play yeah. him, you play him, and I understand what you were saying. I'm just saying that's what's going to piss off the You fans. play him because he's good. He you is play your, him because you need him alongside with best, Gilmore. If not, right. He's your best, second-best cornerback. And Eric Rowe, he didn't have a terrible game. I know he gave up that touchdown. Pro Football Focus rated him out as the fourth-best player on the Patriots' defense in the Super Bowl. Um, They grade every player from every single play in the game. So if they rate him out as the fourth-best player, it seemed like he was giving up a lot of yardage. But that's because he had Stephon Gilmore. Well, it's on also it's also because they were attacking him, and they obviously were being smart. It's because not going yeah, not Gilmore going after Gilmore. But that's what they would have been. They would have had to pick between who do we not go after, Butler exactly. or Gilmore. That's the whole game plan that you go in with. Why would go into a Super Bowl with a depleted secondary if you don't have to? That's what we're asking. But then again, of course, Bill Belichick does things the way that he does it. I have no doubt that they'll be back in the Super Bowl next year because of the fact no. that. They have their offensive coordinator back and Tom Brady. I have no doubt that they'll be back in for one more year. They'll lose it again, but they'll be back. But it's just, even if not, they'll be right there almost making it back again. You just know that no matter what happened, it's not like this is the only time that they're going to be able to taste the forbidden fruit. This is such a, such a casual thing for the Patriots that Bill Belichick coached that like he would any other game and like any other player, no matter who it was. He didn't care if it was a star. He did it the way that Bill said, just like Christian and I were talking about. He wasn't going to let him win. And especially right now, it's we're going to look back and say the what-ifs and obviously comparing Eric Rowe and all of the, you know, what if he was guarding Alshon Jeffrey instead. Jeffrey wouldn't be, he wouldn't have had that touchdown. People wouldn't be overreacting saying he's one of the best receivers in the league right now. Yeah, that's hilarious. Which he's not. (laughs) Yeah, which he's not. But all I'm saying is, Right now, you just guaranteed that Malcolm Butler left. Now, I'm going to ask a quick side question. If you if you have to see Malcolm Butler on a team next year, I can be rather for selfish reasons or just logistics. What team makes the most sense? Which team do you want to see him on regardless? doesn't matter the reasoning for your answer, but what do you think, Christian? Um, say that one more time. Like, Sorry, like, who, who do you think he's going to be? Like, What team would you want to see him on next year? Because for me... I want to just start it off. My, for me, it's the Saints. I want to see him on the Saints. I think that secondary would be absolutely insane, and I think he'd be a perfect player to fit on a Sean Payton team with the kind of young players they have. He'd bring a good veteran presence, and that would, I would yeah. I don't know. What about you? I would love to see him go to the Seahawks. Yeah, uh, I, I think they could use him, and I think that yeah. that would be a to the dark side type with totally. him. Um, That's exactly what I was hoping to hear from you, too. Something like that. The Seahawks would be another scary destination for Malcolm Butler. Maybe uh, helping them reintact the Legion of Boom, which has kind of faded away in the last year or two, of course, with injuries. But Malcolm Butler's got to go somewhere, and he's not going to go to a subpar defense where he needs to be the only good player. He's going to go to, 
I think, a power defense to where he's really going to make a difference. And I think the Saints, Seahawks make a ton of sense. Even the Vikings make a little bit of sense to me, too. Mm -hmm. But they're already pretty stacked on uh, secondary help. I think another team that could make sense would be the Packers. Packers? Again, I'm going to... Oh, they need help. Yeah, I mean, with the Packers, I think Malcolm Butler's going to go to a team that's just a really good overall team. Doesn't necessarily have to be a great defense because he needs to... He's going to think that, okay, if I go to that defense, they're going to be a lot better. The Packers make a lot of sense. I could see him with the Seahawks. Um, yeah, but one thing for sure is that he's not going to be on the Patriots next year. And one quick stat before we move on, just regarding Stephon Gilmore and the other corners on the Patriots. In the Super Bowl, when Stephon Gilmore was covering Alshon Jeffrey or Nelson Aguilar and Nick Foles threw to them, he was 0 for 4 and he threw his only interception. Again, it wasn't his fault on the interception, but... Still plays into the stat. And when, even, when the even, receivers weren't covered by Stefan Gilmore, when it was Jeffrey or Nelson Aguilar, Foles was 12 for 16 with a touchdown pass. So right, and it's not even just on the stat sheet. It also is the fact that Foles didn't attack him as much oh, as yeah. he clearly just went at Eric Rowe like it was nothing, and they kept going and going and going, and then they scored that touchdown. It was a clear, like, what are you doing? Who is this guy kind of thing? But for Gilmore, it was the complete opposite on the other end. They didn't even want to touch him. So that showed the kind of power that you can have with having a certain corner on your team. But imagine having both of them out there. That would have been a scary – that would have been a problem for Nick Foles. That's what I'm saying. It would have been a problem for Nick Foles. And Nick Foles is a quarterback that you have to rattle. He doesn't have as much experience as other quarterbacks. He didn't – you know, you don't have as much film to cover for him. So that would have been something that would have been very useful to have him on there. If you have Malcolm Butler on that defense, I think you see a lot more checkdowns. You don't see nearly as many – Nearly as many explosive plays as we saw in the Super Bowl when you have Malcolm Butler and Stephon Gilmore yeah, at the same time. Definitely. So let's move on. So, Perry, you were talking about how you expect the Patriots to be back into the Super Bowl again next year. Some potential news coming out of the Super Bowl that would definitely affect that. Rob Gronkowski was asked after the Super Bowl about possibly retiring, and he he wouldn't give a definitive answer whether he was coming back next year or not. Basically, just that he's going to be assessing all of his options, thinking about everything. Obviously, without Gronkowski, that makes it much more difficult for them. Perry, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts about Rob Gronkowski possibly retiring, and then also the Patriots. You really think that they're with, going to be back in the Super Bowl next year? With me saying them being back in the Super Bowl, that's with the team staying intact as it is. With Rob Gronkowski obviously healthy, without Butler, healthy though, right? without Butler still, I, obviously I don't think it would have made too much of a difference for me. I don't think it's the Patriots' defense which brings them to any of these Super Bowls. It's their offense, and they just have to have a good enough defense. So for me, if they lose a piece or two on defense, that's not going to be what matters. But for me, uh, I, it's really just Gronkowski at this point is going to make a huge difference because he is a tight end that can do things that very little tight ends ever could do. Kelsey's another tight end in the league right now that can be compared for his athleticism and what he can do. But still, Gronkowski, yeah, when he's healthy, is just no one can compare. So having him on that field with Brady is a big difference. If they're if he's back with Brady, they're healthy the whole year. They'll be back next year with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and head coach Bill Belichick. And that will probably be the last year that they make it with this dynasty form, in my opinion. But if Gronk leaves and he's looking after his health, he's young, yes, but he's had a ton of concussions and a ton of injuries. That's obvious. He's had a ton... 
ton of injuries, yeah. and you got to look after yourself. You got to look after your health, Christian. As a uh, former D one athlete, you know more than uh, you know. You know with football how much of a toll that takes on your body, and sometimes you just have to oh, look at your yours. mental answers. Right, and you just have to look yourself in the mirror sometimes and ask if it's worth it. No matter how much you love it, are you okay health wise? And of course, that's the question that Rob Gronkowski is going to have to face this off season. And if he does come back, I do believe they'll be back next year. I don't think they're going to win it. I think they'll lose again, and it might be a little bit of an anticlimactic end to this era. But still, it'll be another Super Bowl appearance, which will be just a crazy stat to add. And they'll lose another. They'll use, lose a sixth Super Bowl, in my opinion. But still, they'll make it, and that's crazy. But without Gronkowski, they they don't make that Super Bowl. Christian, what are your thoughts on the Gronk? That I think that hit shook him up more than than we know because yeah. that. It's, it was a little not not as, in terms of his play, but more of his demeanor. You could tell that he is a lot more conscious uh, after that hit, and with all the information coming out, um, I, I don't see why. If, if he honestly doesn't think they're going to make it back next year, I don't see why it would be so strange that he would walk away. He's been in the top of his field for so long. He's been the best in his position. He's won the whole thing. If you really don't see. If there's if there's nothing left for him to prove, then why, why do it? You know why you 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 have to live with your body the rest of your life. Yeah, just be, you don't have to prove champion. anything to anyone else. You're already a yeah, champion. You already have crazy stats. You've already had no. an amazing career. It's just a matter of. How... I would love, I would love to see him retire. Honestly, I know that's probably a, a different really? opinion than most people, but yeah, I would love to see a player. Get his get his life back. Take take well, one back well, for himself. Well, yeah, I mean, like, just just like I, one player that I actually listen to his podcast quite a lot, Arian Foster, is a player that quickly comes to mind that that retired recently and had to think about his body. He was, and I know, of course, it was the wrong situation, and he of course, it, uh, he, he got the ruptured Achilles. His knees had a ton of injuries as well, and at some point, his he had a ton of concussion concussions as well. He just said it wasn't worth it for me anymore. Football is a beautifully dangerous sport is something that he said, which is a quote that I love. Uh, it's a it's beautifully dangerous, of course, and that's what you sign up to do. But you got to sometimes look yourself in the mirror and ask if it's worth it. And if you are in the right kind of state of mind and, you know, your health is okay to continue playing. And Rob Gronkowski is going to be faced with that this offseason. But let's move on from that. Let's all just uh, – oh, wait, no. Actually, we got to get Corbin's, Corbin's take on this. But just – just with him not being in the NFL, it would be a lot more mature league as well. There would be a lot less use of the number 69, <laughs> and it would be a lot sadder day for all of us that like to make a joke out of press conferences. Let's just bring that up really quick, and that's my last point on this before we you go. Gotta grow up, you got to grow up sometime. <laughs> at some point. At, <laughs> some point when, at some point when Gronk retires, I will grow <laughs> up. But, yeah, with Gronk, you bring up Arian Foster as someone who retired due to injuries sort of young. Foster, I think he was older than Gronk is now, but Foster was more just, he couldn't perform. Ruptured Achilles, which is why Richard Sherman, I think, is not going to be anything close to what he was, and I think he only has Boogie a year Cousins. or two left. Yeah, Boogie Cousins. Um, but the last player who was pretty much in his prime in the NFL that I can remember retiring just because he didn't want to get any more injuries and could still perform at a really high level, Patrick Willis. He was, I think, 30 when he retired just because of mainly his feet. His feet had been um, gone through a lot, and he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Gronk, I just, I think that he's going to stay. I think 
He's going to play some more. I think uh, Robert Kraft is going to get to him just like he got to Josh McDaniels and pretty much convince him to play a little longer. I don't think that the Patriots make the Super Bowl again. I think this was their last Super Bowl. And a lot of times when a team that makes it to a Super Bowl or an NBA championship a lot, sort of a dynasty, gets eliminated in the championship, we're quick to just say, okay, well, that's the end of that dynasty. That's the beginning of the end for them. With the Patriots this time around, though, it's just Tom Brady's going to be 41 next year. Eventually, like we were talking about, he's going to hit that cliff. It's just a matter of when. Uh, winning, we posted, the MVP, winning the MVP at 40. I know, I know, like I know. Showing any sign but it's it's coming. It's coming. It's father time. Is yeah, well, maybe at, in a couple years, at, but the year after winning the MVP, it's not like uh, his stats started to go down a bit this year. The age started showing a tiny bit. Well, I'm sure it's going to really carry over to next year. It was, can he continue to play like this for another 15 years is what people are asking right now. So, yes, father time will oh, catch up, but, but next Perry, year, it's not stupid. next year. Not next year, though. It's not going to catch up next year. It I think knock, that knock you can wood definitely. It's not. Could. It's not outrageous to think that you could see a pretty big dip. You look at Peyton Manning, right around the same age. Granted, he had quite a few surgeries with his neck before he got to this age, but he was before his last season in the NFL. For most of that season, he was playing like an MVP. He won MVP two years before he retired. Year before he retired, he was in the MVP conversation. Started to dip at the end, and then last year he just. Could not get it done at all. Quarterbacks 41 years or older, the most touchdowns thrown by any quarterback that age, Warren Moon, 25. After that, the second most, Vinny Testaverde with 17. Yeah. So history is not on Brady's side. I just think that that Gronk, even if he does come back, um, the good thing working with the Patriots is that they'll get Julian Edelman back. They should have Cooks, which they didn't have for most of the, most of the Super Bowl, which definitely hurt them. But I just don't think they make it. So... Before we move on, just gut feeling for you guys. Is Gronk playing in the NFL next year? Yes, Harry? yes. One just more he, year, yeah. Yeah, but okay. if, if, if he gets another concussion-type injury, foreseeably he could walk away midseason. I, I, I totally – I was going to say the same thing. I totally can see him yeah, walking away if something really big happens this season, but he will be starting the year next year. He's yeah, too well, much of a competitor yeah. to just he, walk he away had, like this. I believe he's had 11 surgeries since his senior year in college, which is nine wow. years, so that's just – Tons. And I ton. don't blame him for wanting. Right. To I mean, to look yourself in the mirror and decide what's best for yourself. But I just, you said gut feeling. I think we all can agree he'll be playing next year, at least to begin the year. But let's uh, let's move on from Rob Gronkowski. I love talking about him as always. Just to, I'm going to just bring up this point. We don't really really have to discuss it too much. But Chris Long and Legarrette Blunt both winning back to back Super Bowls, being a member of the Patriots last year and being a member of the Eagles this year. Both of those players each got to face their former team and beat them. So I'm sure an awesome feeling for the two of them, um, especially Chris Long, who we talked about last podcast, gave away his entire salary to different community endeavors, uh, different charities, everything and like somehow that. somehow didn't win the Man of the Year award. I know J.J. Watt did a ton for... Right, yeah, yeah. And, he, and yeah, Chris Long didn't win the Man of the Year, but he did win the Walter Wizard Award that we were talking about uh, last week. But yeah, just wanted to bring up the fact that the two of them were able to win back-to-back Super Bowls, and congratulations to them. And maybe they'll switch back to another team next year, and that that will be their good luck charm. Yeah, congrats on picking the correct team, you guys. Yeah, you guys are smart. Semi semi important, you know, reservish type roles outside of 
Garrett Blunt is kind of a reserve in my eyes to win a Super Bowl. Congrats on being the right. Hey, pick, he put up ninety pick. yards and a touchdown, just like we all. Kind of, I, I knew he, I knew he would do something against the Patriots, and his year that wasn't that great this year, especially compared to his NFL leading rushing touchdowns year the year before with the Patriots. You knew he was going to end it with some sort of exclamation mark and just screw the the, the Patriots like that. So I was really glad to hey. see that. To be a hundred percent honest. He turned it up one time when he needed it. That's so, that's all he had to do. Haslam, that's all you need to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, so let's move on to the next topic. So Nick Foles won the MVP of the Super Bowl for the Eagles, had a really impressive performance. He pretty much stared down Tom Brady, and like you were saying earlier, Perry, he went shot for shot with him. Anything you can do, I can do better. That's it. Really impressed me also. So he has one more year left on his contract. What do you guys think the Eagles should do? Do they trade him while the iron's hot and get as much as oh, they can? Oh, yes. Yeah, 100%. Yes. So neither one of you guys, and um, Christian, I'll start with you first. You don't think that there's any chance that the Eagles keep him as a backup to Wentz while he tries to recover from that ACL? If there, you need to look internally, and if there's some kind of Andrew Luckish type scenario where he's going to be out, for maybe the next season and, and onward, then yeah, you keep him. If you think he's going to be back and ready for the season or, you know, week one or two, you trade him, you get you some pieces that can help your team out in other ways because well, you, you didn't expect that to happen. We You never in a hundred years could have expected Nick Foles to do that. So why don't you cash in on a piece that doesn't cost you that much and get you something that can help you now versus, and you have an MVP quarterback. There's, Unless Carson Wentz has an injury that's going to be like Andrew Luck's, where it's going to be nagging and nagging and nagging, then you trade him. There's no reason to, right. I mean, to overkill. I totally agree. And for Foles, you're never going to get a better opportunity than this for yourself either. So it's not like you sit there and say, I'm going to be loyal to the Eagles. I'm okay with taking this backup role and being there just in case Wentz gets hurt. I feel like once you get to start the rest of the year like that and get a taste of a Super Bowl victory and put up the type of numbers that are comparable with any quarterback in the league right now, you go and take advantage of that opportunity personally. So you go to the coaching staff, the front office, and you talk to them because you clearly are on great terms right now. You clearly won, the, did everything that you had to do. You you were the next man up, and you won them that Super Bowl. You got to go to Disney World. You got to do everything with your you know your wife and your kid. It's a dream scenario for Nick Foles. But now, what's next? Wentz is the clear answer for them. What they're going to give up on Wentz, who was looked like their Messiah last year. Maybe it was he was having a better year than Brady. It was is he, it, it was is he the question was is he the best quarterback in the league right now? That was the question before he went down. So it's not even a debate of what you do. There's no quarterback controversy here. It's Wentz, no matter what. And from what I've read in any articles I've read in the last week or two, his uh, rehab is going well. He's progressing fine. He was already throw, like lightly throwing. Uh, he's already he got that yeah. On one he got on one knee to propose. So shout out to Wentz and his uh, fiance. Let's bring that up really quick. So something that we tweeted. Go take a look at that if you guys haven't. Really cute pictures from them. Uh, but yeah, it was actually a really cool caption. He said, "Now we both got a ring." I really liked that. So congratulations to Wentz and his fiance. Uh, but yeah, honestly, 
you got to make a move now if you're the Eagles because if you wait until he's a free agent, he's not going to go anywhere that matters. He's yesterday's news at that point. And you, it's a win-win and for both of them. It's a win-win. The Eagles get something back. Foles gets an opportunity. Now, if you wait, he's going to walk away. You get nothing. He's not going to go get the contract he deserves. Someone needs to go overpay for him, and someone needs to give him a chance now. Even if that's a mistake, Browns. even if it's a mistake, <laughs> someone has to do it. If that's the Vikings or if that's the Browns or if that's the Broncos or any team that is has a quarterback need right now, if they don't plan on addressing that in the draft, they should really take an option at this, honestly, because right now he was playing like a Super Bowl champion. He's playing like a, a player that, if you plug in right now, can lead you back to a Super Bowl if he continues to play that way. All I'm saying is, though, he's just the most unfortunate situation for him because that might be the only spot in the NFL that you can do what he did and still not even have a chance to compete for the quarterback spot next year because Wentz is it's not even a question. He might be the best quarterback in the league in, an, in a year or two and depending on how he comes off this injury. But, you know, it really is unfortunate for Foles, but also not because now he just earned himself a serious opportunity. I hope the Eagles give it to him. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys that they should trade Foles. My only reservation with that is that Wentz, he likes to run a lot, so it's not really a question of if he's going to get injured again. It's just when and then how severe is it going to be. Obviously, the odds of tearing your ACL are pretty slim, but it did happen with him. And you've seen that with Foles, as your backup quarterback, you can win a Super Bowl. But, yeah, I agree with you guys. Strike while the iron's hot and uh, get as much as you can. Try to trade them before the draft so you can get some draft picks, get some good players back into your system. Eagles already have a ton of great players. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just sell as high as you can on him and build around Wentz some more. He went to Disney World. He got to do his own celebration. Let's talk about the Eagles briefly, about their personal celebration as a fan base. They The night of, they completely tore down the city of Philadelphia. Please, please go take a look at our Twitter, NFL Unwrapped, and go check out the videos that we retweeted. Uh, we did it back, back, back to back to back to back on that night and the next morning. Just buildings collapsing, people on top of cars, kids dancing, um, just on top of cars, people throwing each other, food fights. It doesn't matter what you can imagine. They did it in uh, Philadelphia. There was... Their parade that they just had that ended on the rocky steps from, of course, the famous movie. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bud Light was one that sponsored that parade and gave every single person at, um, it really was at selected bars, but they were all placed on the parade trail and they gave everybody one token and there was valid for one free beer at specific bars on the parade trail. So it was sponsored by Bud Light. They called it the Dilly Dilly Parade. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Great marketing. And... Philadelphia had an amazing time. I have a couple of buddies that are uh, that live in Philadelphia, and I was seeing some of their Snapchats of them in Eagles gear. It, I just witnessing this crazy parade, and you know, Eagles fans are crazy fans for sure. So, congratulations to them. They really tore down the city. So, take a look at our Twitter if you really want to get a firsthand look at that. But they won it for the first time, and they celebrated it like it. So. Let's uh, move on from that. But again, congratulations to the whole city of Philadelphia for their first Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era. Uh, we're going to move on to some of these crazy coaching changes that's happened. We can move on directly with the Patriots coaches that left and were supposed to leave. So let's talk about those two. Of course, Josh McDaniels, their offensive coordinator, and Matt Patricia, their defensive coordinator, or both of them. Um, let's talk about the moves that they've been making. Let's start with... Let's start with Matt Patricia going to the Lions because that's a move that actually did happen for him. He This was something that was expected 
for about a month or two prior to the Super Bowl. Everyone knew this was the clear spot for Matt Patricia. He has been the defensive coordinator there for a while. Like what Corbin said, he's done an extremely good job keeping their defense yeah. far above top, expectations. Top every year he's far done. above expectations. Year in and year out. Doesn't have the talent that you'd have on other defenses or the help and really has found a way to maximize talent there on the defensive side. So it's about time that he's got a defense, that he's got a head coaching opportunity instead of a defensive coordinator job. He's at he's on the Lions now and he's I saw his press conference. I think he shaved a bit yeah, and yeah. Uh, cut his hair. He's got, a, up. he's got a suit on, so it looks like he's you know the new boss in Detroit. He's no longer this rugged of you know bear of a man. He looks like he's taking this seriously and he wants to start with a new chapter. Yeah, and speaking good. of bosses in Detroit, so Matt Patricia's boss, the GM Bob Quinn, the Lions gave him a five-year extension to match up with Matt Patricia's five-year extension. So it really looks like those two are pretty much in it together yeah they're in sync and you can see that they got a plan for the future and that's very good for the lions who really have improved because i can remember when they won zero games and now you know stafford's able to lead them almost to a playoff berth every year it's it's just a toss-up a coin toss between the vikings the packers and the lions year in and year out which is a lot more than they were years before that so it's just the right coaching staff in place now and front office staff might make a difference and see if they can make a run. But congratulations to Patricia, who's used his success with the Patriots to go land himself a head coaching job. Let's move on to another coach that did the exact opposite. He it was the offensive coordinator of the Patriots. Josh McDaniels had his – he literally agreed he had, to become – both feet he, out the door. He yeah. literally was – I'm pretty sure he was at the practice facility and then drove away. I'm pretty sure that's how close. close I'm pretty sure that's how close it was. He accepted the job. The Indianapolis Colts were posting about it on Twitter about hiring their new coach. He already was contacting other coaches, their defensive coordinator and their D line coach that just signed. Both signed not because of McDaniel's, but both knowing that McDaniel's was going. Yeah, he recruited recruited both knowing that McDaniel's. Exactly, they both wanted to coach for McDaniel's. Now they say, obviously, they don't want to screw up this opportunity. They're going to keep it regardless of who the head coach is. But still, that everything was in place, and he literally at the last second decided not to take it. He decided to stay uh, with the Patriots and stay their offensive coordinator. What we think is because there was some certain things promised to him. That's our conspiracy here that we're going to explain in a second. But just the nitty gritty, he didn't take it. He's back with the Patriots, and I saw the Adam Schefter said a quote from a source that he has around the NFL that um, it's just Robert Kraft trying to screw the Colts yet again. Ever since Deflategate, he's been out to ruin that organization, and just like and I saw there was a quote from uh, Ballard from the yeah, Colts. He said the rivalry is back, so it is. It's a clear um, screw you by Belichick and by Robert Kraft keeping McDaniel's in New England instead of letting him go coach the Colts, who, of course, are a rival. And it's not the same as losing Patricia to the Lions in Kraft's eyes. So just want to hear your guys' thoughts super quick on just the crazy McDaniels drama and what that might mean. The, that I think it means that he, in some uncertain terms, was promised the head coaching job for the Patriots. Because I don't think any amount of money would sway Josh McDaniels at another shot at being a head coach because his first crack was not impressive by any means. And it's either Andrew Luck's arm or being promised the head coaching job. And I think it's probably being promised 
uh, at the end of 2019 the head coaching job for the Patriots. Yeah, you think so? I mean, I think that would be something that makes sense. It has to be. It, 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 whether it be, you know, 2019 or 2020, it would have to be the head coaching job for him to sway. Yeah, Josh I mean, something, something, that we tweet, something we tweeted was that Josh McDaniel's agent said that this would be the biggest mistake of his career. Yeah. So it'd have to be complete certainty on McDaniel's end that this wouldn't be the biggest mistake of his career, that things were promised or that there's a future there beyond just being their offensive coordinator. So I can totally see where you're coming from. I totally agree that I think there's something more than just staying here and trying to win that last Super Bowl with Brady. I think it's a clear thing that Brady's leaving and no offensive coordinator is going to want to stay there and sign some sort of extension with so much uncertainty for their offense coming you know as soon as next year or the year after depending or it can even be longer of course we said we got to wait till father time catches up but as an offensive coordinator to have such an old quarterback and you know no dominant pieces around him there's that's no certainty there for you and your job unless you that's just a stepping stone to you becoming a head coach and Belichick has to have some sort of guy to take over and I think McDaniels would be a fine choice on that end and would have a much better second go around of becoming a head coach but I want to hear Corbin's take on this fiasco yeah it's definitely Kraft said something to him wink 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 scenario about he's going to be the head coach when Belichick retires and that Belichick will be retiring soon we had this conversation on the last podcast Christian you think that he might be out in a year or two especially after this I agree with you and I had thought a little bit about maybe it's had something to do with Andrew Luck's arm, but what Josh McDaniels did with pretty much, he did accept the Colts' offer and then back out at the last minute. He pretty much committed career suicide because you think about it, what other team now besides the Patriots are going to want have any interest at all in interviewing him as the head coach. It doesn't matter how good of a job he does as offensive coordinator with the Patriots. What he just did with the Colts, every team is going to – that's the first I mean, thing it, that's going to go into their mind. Set, it, it sets them out, sets them back big time. They have a whole plan. They have a coach who's reaching out to other coaches. They're building a staff around him. I'm sure they're looking at their offseason plan, building it around him and other new – front office guys that they're trying to get in there. I know that the special teams coach from New England was going to follow him to the Colts as well, and he's not doing that either now. He's staying with the Patriots because he's not following McDaniels. So that's another coaching position that the Colts have to take care of. The Patriots really screwed over the Colts late in this process, and it's they're back to the drawing board now. And, of course, I know there's been a few different potential candidates up in the air, but nothing is going to match their number one candidate. Whoever they get is going to be their number two. And that's it really hurts for a team, and I agree. I don't think any team is going to take this and see a man that they want to bring in and change their culture because they have no confidence that he's going to keep their word and stick around. So uh, let's just you know move on from that one. I think that was the most exciting coaching change since the Super Bowl, of course. But we all expected Patricia and Daniels McDaniels to both just walk away, and one of them did. The other one pulled this huge dramatic twist, and he's still there. So if, isn't it funny how like Patricia cut his hair looks more professional? Josh McDaniels looks more of an ass. It's kind of like they went in completely opposite directions. Yeah, I mean, McDaniels just completely, You just like you said, he's had to have Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft in his ear or, you know, yeah. just a plan that's already been set for him to have to commit this sort of career suicide. And 
not take the biggest opportunity of his career so far for him to stick around. And that's a big reason why I think the Patriots will uh, go back to the go back to the Super Bowl this year. It's because they were able to keep half of their coaching staff. Their special teams coach is still there. Their offensive coordinator is still there. Their head coach is still there. The only thing they really have to change now is their defensive coordinator, which is a lot less of a problem than having to replace both of your coordinators. That's completely having to start with brand new systems and hopefully that the players will buy into them the same way they did before. Now it's just half the problem. So I think that's a big thing for the Patriots. Being able, if they can keep him and Gronkowski, they look like they have another chance to going back next year. Yeah, Let's, really quickly, one word answer for both of you guys on this question. Does Josh McDaniels ever even get an interview as a potential head coach for some team other than the Patriots? Perry? No. No. Christian? Okay. No. I agree. I think. Um, he, unless he wins Super Bowls with the Patriots, and we're talking 10 yeah, years. Yeah, if this is far away from now and this just happened to yeah. be something that happened in the beginning of his career, and it was okay, that's why he stayed. It's because the Patriots let him have the keys after the Belichick era. Then that will be a different story. But in, in any sort of capacity, I see this being a big problem for him unless he's got this already set in stone with the Patriots, which all three of us think he does. So just two more minor hires that don't match, of course. Uh, the severity of those two. We got Steelers hiring former Penn State and former UCLA defensive coordinator Tom Bradley to be their secondary coach. Uh, their secondary coach resigned a week or two ago, so they were able to fill that quickly with a big name. Uh, Vikings also hiring former Eagles quarterback coach John DeFilippo. Um, he showed what he was able to do as a coach with Nick Foles and with Wentz, it didn't matter who was playing quarterback, they were able to win them a Super Bowl and play like a champion. So, of course, Eagles quarterback coach cashing on, uh, cashing in on the peak of his career as well, just like we were talking about with Nick Foles. He needs to go do what his coach just did, Eagles quarterback coach, going to go um, coach for the Vikings now. So congratulations to him. Just on to one, of course, awful, awful topic to bring up, but something that we have to and just to pay our condolences to former NFL player Edwin Jackson, uh, who unfortunately was struck and killed by a drunk driver and is no longer with us. Just an awful, awful story that came out on the Sunday morning of Super Bowl. Just, I don't, and there's really no words to say here. It just our condolences with his family, with his teammates, with anyone that was a part of Edwin Jackson's life. We're so sorry from uh, NFL Unwrapped, and we can't even imagine, but just... Terrible news to go around the NFL, but we had to uh, bring that up and pay our respects. Yeah, um, just horrible news. You yeah. never want to see that. Put a damper on the whole Super Bowl Sunday. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, not too much more needs to be said. Yeah, He's undrafted pretty... free agent, I believe. Um, and I heard he was a great guy, of course, and just very popular in the locker room. So it's just very unfortunate to hear all articles – it's just no other words need to be said except for we're terribly sorry and our respects are you know being paid to his family and his best wishes. We're gonna move yeah. on. Best. We're gonna move on to our uh, the most exciting part of this podcast. I'll yeah. let Corbin introduce this one because I know how excited he was for it, especially. But it's uh, our mock draft that we're starting for the NFL. So I'm gonna let Corbin start off and run with this one. But we're all giving our prediction to the players coming out of college and how they'll be able to help the NFL teams and how these teams stack up this year in regards to the draft. So let's start, Corbin. And we'll try to move on from that last topic as well as we can. So mock draft, we're going to just all go through. We'll go pick by pick, and each of us will have 
our selections. So this is with no trades. Um, I know that there were some trades and players that we all wanted moved around, but just to simplify things on this first one, this is with no trades made by any teams. Um, but let's just start with the first pick. So Cleveland Browns with the first pick. Christian, who did you have the Browns picking first overall? So I don't necessarily think the Browns will do this, but I think this is the best plan that they should attack it from is take Saquon Barkley number one and let your quarterback come to you uh, with what the next two teams do with their picks. So number one for me is Saquon Barkley. Right, and the Browns, of course, have picks number one and number and four. four. So two picks in the top five, two top five prospects coming in. They really should be able to land two huge, huge players. But um, for me, my number one pick for the Browns, Sam Darnold, quarterback out of USC. He's got such an NFL build, and I just don't see the Browns waiting for their quarterback. I know you said you wanted the uh, teams after them to fight for. There are a lot of quarterbacks that are worthy of a top of a high pick this year for sure. But I really think the Browns go with their quarterback right away and go with best player available at four because they just need to assure themselves that they'll have a general there that's going to be able to lead this team, just like the 49ers were able to do with Garoppolo. Finding their guy, however they were able to, I think uh, the Browns are sick and tired of not having theirs. So I think they go right away with a quarterback, and that's Sam Darnold. Yeah, Christian, I thought about having the Browns take Barkley number one. I think it definitely makes sense. But when you are in need of a quarterback and you have the number one overall pick, even if you do have number four, Quarterback's the most important position on your team, so you want your guy. Even though I think that there's not a lot that separate, especially the first two quarterbacks um, with Rosen and Darnold, I just think that at number one, choose your guy, and then at number four, best player available. So I'm going with Darnold to the Browns at number one. Um, I think especially with the Browns and their line, I mean the Giants don't have a good line either, but when you can choose and you don't have a great line, go with someone who's a little more mobile. Darnold, uh, Rosen's also had some quotes saying he doesn't want to play for the Browns. Darnold said he'd be fine playing anywhere. So go with Darnold. He has a lot of upside. So does Rosen. Um, so I Darnold, agree. Darnold's number one. I think one he's an pick. amazing quarterback. <laughs> yes. Um, and Ro- Rosen is too. Um, but yeah, let's move on to number Not two. Really. So <laughs> New York Giants. Christian, who do you have the Giants selecting at number two? So I think the Giants go Sam Darnold because he's the uh, best player at this point. And I think that they uh, need to look to the future now. Eli Manning uh, is getting old and uglier by the day. So um, I think it's a perfect fit. He can sit behind Eli for the whole season or half the season um, until things start disintegrating again. Um, Hopefully not in the same fashion of injury because you never want to see it happen like that. But I think they go Sam Darnold to get the QB for the future. All the upside, like you said. Um, my reasoning for taking a running back is uh, in the past couple of years, the position that uh, I think has most positively influenced teams going from being a like a top four pick to being a playoff team is running back. In my cases, would be Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Leonard Fournette. So I think that Saquon Barkley at one and then taking a quarterback at four would net the most positive influence, even with Sam Darnold being the best uh, best player, in my opinion, and the best quarterback. So, number two, I just want to give you my reasoning on why uh, I have him at two and not one, even though he is the best quarterback, much better than Rosen. 
Right. Okay, what do you think? So yeah, of course, I, I agree with Darnold being slightly better than Rosen, and that's why I have him going number one to the Browns. Number two to the Giants, this is their highest selection in 37 years. Uh, the last time they had the number second pick was Lawrence Taylor. That's someone that worked they, out, pretty, they well worked out pretty well for them in 1981. Besides that, they've really had a lot of success, so they haven't been here at number two in a long time. But now with number two, I have them picking Josh Rosen. I have Darnold going number one overall, and uh, the Giants really need to address quarterback, and Geno Smith is not the answer, and you know anyone else they've tried to bring in there isn't going to be you know Nassib. They're not the answer past Eli Manning. Josh Rosen can very well be that answer, and I think a year behind Eli Manning will do very well sharpening you know, the skills and the weaknesses that he does have, and then at that point, it'll be a clean transition from Eli to him, but of course... You know, they got a lot of work to do on that team, but it starts with a quarterback after after Eli, in my opinion. What about you, Corbin? Yeah, so really quickly before I get to my pick, Christian, the only reason why I didn't go Barkley number one is because I think that I think there's a good chance of this happening anyways, but especially if the Browns take anyone besides a quarterback number one, someone makes a trade with the Colts at number three to get a quarterback. Someone's going to move up. So for the Browns yeah, to get the third best, potentially their third choice for a quarterback, I just don't think they want to do that. Just like I said, year in and year out, they they hope they can find a quarterback at some point. Right. You know, and I and think they, just take well, number one. When, and you, when you see my number four, I think you're gonna see. I had thought. Of no, that of course, and I know that that's just Corbin explaining his right. pick. But so for, let me get to nice. my pick, and then we'll move on. So um, I'm going, like I said, Josh Rosen, second best quarterback. I'm going with him. I think he's the most NFL ready of all the quarterback prospects. I, I don't think it's that close. Um, it's just. You look at the potential for all of them. Darnold has a really high ceiling. Josh Allen is really raw. Um, we'll get to him once I get to who's going to draft him. But Rosen, when UCLA played USC this year, I was at the game. I'm a USC student for anyone who doesn't know. USC has so much more talent on their team than UCLA. And it was Rosen. clear to me, Rosen outplayed Darnold. Rosen and it wasn't even by a lot. He outplayed him yes. by a ton. Um, he has really good arm talent, and I think he will do really well in this league. I just think that Darnold, the ceiling's a little higher for him. Right. I totally agree. So let's move on to the third pick, the Colts. Um, Christian, who do you have going number three? I have Chubb. Chubb going number three. As an offensive lineman, uh, Chubb gives me nightmares. Bradley, um, Bradley uh, Chubb, uh, right. Chubb. Yeah. yeah, Bradley Chubb. Not uh, not his his brother, the running yeah. back. Yeah, um Chubb. I really think that you could play him uh, as an outside backer, defensive end, and as a rush defensive tackle. Um, for some of you who aren't as familiar with defensive schemes, there's a 2-4-5, which would be two defensive linemen, four backers, and five defensive backs. Uh, essentially what you do is your ends play defensive tackle and your outside backers play defensive end. And I think uh, Chubb is the perfect personification of someone who would allow you to run that defensive style um you can get pass rush and uh run stoppage out of that so having him on your team uh and you have a team that needs defense in the colts like you said i think someone's going to move up there and get a quarterback at number three but this uh mock draft ladies and gentlemen is just no trades no hypothetical moving up and down just where they currently are and if they were going to pick at that spot so you got to go with the the bigger brother chubb and uh, what, what do you think, Perry? Who do you take? Who do you take at three? So uh, I know you had Saquon Barkley going number one. I have the Colts 
taking they don't have a need on that team they have needs across the board they don't have one bulging need that's you need to have a receiver for this quarterback you need to like they just need to get luck back and they need to get good players around that as of right now they need to take the best player on the board and that's Saquon Barkley they can at least start having an identity on that offense with or without Andrew Luck they'll be able to have someone that's a difference maker and then imagine when Andrew Luck comes back if that's if he's able to come back half the quarterback that he was Having Saquon Barkley there and that balanced offense is going to make all the difference in the world. They really hoped that Trent Richardson was going to come in and come into form that they were hoping he was going to when he got drafted so highly. This is a completely different player than that. Saquon Barkley is a once-in-a-decade talent, and he really performed last year to us. And that's why I don't argue with you that when you said he was the number one pick, he very well could be. And that's why this year there is no Miles Garrett unanimous number one pick where if you don't take him it's just a a mistake on your part and everyone expects it no one knows who's going to go number one this year the browns can go in numerous different ways especially having number four also but yeah saquon barkley to me the browns and the giants need quarterbacks too bad they go back to back one two and then saquon barkley happens to fall to the colts because he's the best player there and they'd be dumb not to take him what about you corbin yeah i agree with you perry i got saquon barkley going number three Colts need a lot of help, and Bradley Chubb makes a lot of sense, too. I just think, one, the running back situation in Indianapolis. Frank Gore, if he comes back next year, he'll be 35. I've been thinking for the be. past few years he isn't coming back. He's not going to come back. He's going to be a free agent forever after this year is what it's going to happen. Who, who knows? Their backup, Marlon Mack, he had a decent season. He had one game where he kind of exploded. Other than that, for his whole season, he had 93 attempts for 358 yards. 3.8 yards per carry. But you just think of what Saquon Barkley and Andrew Luck could be together as long as they can both just, stay healthy. Just That's the what scary. if. Just the what if right there. And then also the guarantee that if Luck doesn't come back and you have to stick with a quarterback like Brissett or go elsewhere. Then they might you, be, they might be you, taking a quarterback. Exactly. You don't, you don't have – but in that point – you have a running back that you're building your team around. You're not relying on the quarterback as much if you're building your team around your quarterback. So at least you have an identity. Go with defense and hard-nosed running, and maybe you can start something up uh, for the Colts quicker because, honestly, the Colts right now are very lost, and it's unfortunate because of the coaching changes and with injuries to Andrew Luck and other people as well. But I think Saquon Barkley is the only person who you can take a number three that will immediately put you in a better spot than you were the day before yeah so let's move on to number four so this is the cleveland browns picking again from the texans and this was part of the trade last year where the texans moved up and it netted them to sean watson so i'm sure even though it's pick number four texans are not regretting this at not all. at all browns <laughs> actually are so yeah number four christian who do you have the browns taking do you have any other quarterback yeah so i have them going quarterback and i have i have Josh Allen as the second quarterback off the board. Um, like you said earlier, he's such a raw talent. And uh, with a raw talent like that, Cleveland would be the place to allow him to work out his kinks and not worry about winning or losing. And he could just develop with Saquon Barkley and figure out the kinks in a almost a no-stress environment. Um, they have a, a awesome left tackle. They gave away their center to the Falcons, so their offensive line does need uh, a little bit of repairing. But... I think Josh Rosen is a little bit too cool for school. Um, he doesn't want to play for the Browns. Uh, so I think Josh – and Josh Allen's from Wyoming, and he's a, 
a little bit of a country bumpkin type kid. I think that the cold weather in Cleveland um, and his persona would match up a little bit more than Josh Rosen being a, a coastal city, uh, a coastal city kid, um, where Josh Allen is more of that that country kid. So I think the Browns take Josh Allen at number four okay. over Josh I mean, Rosen. I know with Josh Allen, he might have the best build uh, of any quarterback coming in. He has the most. NFL pro ready body, but when it comes to his skill set, I know that he has a lot of issues with his touch on the ball on shorter passes. And, you know, I saw a lot of his issues were shown um, in the Pro Bowl or, sorry, the, what, senior, the, bowl. the senior Bowl. So, senior bowl. Yeah, but, he, but then, of course, he did come back and continue to play well. So he's a very high talent and he's got. If he goes to the right, you know, coaching staff, he's, he can develop. Yeah, he's been coached at Wyoming, which is right. a low SBS school. He hasn't been getting the best coaching he can But it's, all, it's also the kind of competition he's played to. So if Josh, Josh sure. Allen comes with a lot more questions than the other quarterbacks, I think, because of we haven't been able to see him as much. Uh, he does – I think he might have a few more holes in his game, but he does have a frame that is almost perfect. When it, you, He was almost made in a quarterback factory – so if they can figure out the skill set to match with that body type, they really have you know the the perfect quarterback. But yeah. he does have more questions than, in my opinion, Sam Darnold. Sim- and- yeah. He's the, the least game ready out of the three. Yeah, but a high ceiling nonetheless. Cinturon, That's why I think. Since we're on Josh Allen, just really quickly, so he completed fifty six percent of his passes this past year, and you look at the competition he was playing. You can look at it two ways: either the coaching, which Obviously, wasn't as good as at a D1 school, but also the competition wasn't as great. And you look at the top 20 quarterbacks in this league, you can go top 20, top 25, depending on what you want to argue. None of them completed less than 60% of their passes in college. So that's a red flag for me. And then also you think about him. I did not have him going to the Browns. Um, Obviously, I had them taking Darnold at number one. But he's someone who the Browns want someone to most likely play right away and give them some hope he's going to struggle if he plays right away and he's going to get eaten alive with the browns because he has just nothing surrounding him um, I mean, so yeah, it's, he's going to have the same kind of year he's going to have the same kind of year that this deshaun kaiser had where he's throwing picks all over the place but but does but does show some sort of potential on some you have josh gordon back now hold on you would have saquon and my hypothetically you'd have saquon barkley and you'd have josh gordon so right. he and, wouldn't be and, up, and up, up a creek without a paddle and Joe Thomas back. Yeah, and yes. Joe Thomas back. So I, I can see where you're going, Christian. And, and this, regardless of what we think of Josh Allen, at least in your mock draft so far, the Browns are addressing running back and quarterback. So they're showing that they, of course, hit gold with Jabril Peppers last year and with Miles Garrett on the defensive, defensive side. They already have a pretty decent defense. Now they need to get skill position players in there now to make – you know, to start developing them, but to also a guy like Saquon Barkley, who they'll already have there, that'll already be the identity of their team. Then maybe someone like Josh Allen can come and develop. But and to me, that's sort of a similar thing to, to Kaiser for me, yeah. just hoping that they'll develop. But with Saquon Barley, Barkley, that's a for sure for them. For me, at number four, I have the Browns taking Bradley Chubb. Uh, we don't have to say too much because we already have. So I have them taking Chubb there. He'd be a big... Uh, Big, big, big addition to that defensive line with Miles Garrett. I know I just mentioned that they did hit gold on the defensive end last year. Why stop now? Build up a crazy defensive line. Look what Jacksonville did, a.k.a. Saxonville now. So just completely build up. And if I, for me, I see Sam Darnold and Bradley Chubb going 1-4 and four to the Browns. Now uh, to Corbin for his number four for the Browns. 
Yeah, so, so far, Perry, we are in agreement. I got Bradley Chubb going there, too. And, Christian, you talked about the nickel formation, 2-4-5. I could see that with the Browns, just one pick later, Chubb going there, and then Miles Garrett and Bradley Chubb just wow. trying to... that'd be scary. That's what I'm yeah, saying. It would be one of the scariest matchups and then you for also, years I mean, you got Danny Shelton on the interior, and um, I forgot who their other defensive tackle is, but they got two good D tackles, too. So, I mean... If you're the Browns, you can address quarterback and you start turning into that scary defense. Yeah, kind of mimicking then you start the having an identity. Exactly. Look yeah. what Bortles was able to do when, with just a scary defense. It didn't. It could have been Bortles. It could have been Fitzpatrick. It could have been, been anyone, McCown, and they would have easily made it just as far as Jacksonville did this year. It's because they found they went with their defense in the running back, the Tom Coughlin way of playing. And if the Browns can duplicate that by, you know, Really having at least having the defensive identity and figuring out if they want to go hard nose running or an air raid offense, whatever their offensive pick, whatever they decide to go, at least they'll be forming an identity. But they'll be working around a defense that has the potential to be the best defense in the league very quickly. And they're both young players developing together, so that would be super scary. Um, I want to hear your number five really quick for the Broncos, uh, Christian. Uh, I've been going with Josh Rosen, I think the Elway Magic. Uh, and Josh Rosen would be a perfect fit at number five. Uh, also, I could see the, either Denver moving up or signing a free agent quarterback and moving down. So that number five is subject to change. But uh, John Elway with the number five pick and Josh Rosen being uh, the only quarterback available because Allen and Sam Donald are gone in my hypothetical. Josh Rosen, he comes into a system where he can start right away and not only start right away, but win right away. The Broncos, in my opinion, are a really good team and they're searching for a quarterback to really put everything uh together and josh rosen would be that piece okay i see where where you're coming from for me uh, i know you have darnold and then allen and then rosen i had and me and corbin both had darnold and rosen one and two uh number five to the broncos i have my third quarterback going josh allen so we have the same three obviously flipped around uh but for the broncos i see john elway falling in love with his frame falling in love with the potential of what Josh Allen could be and just knowing that they have the best coaching staff out of any of these teams in the bottom tier here in regarding you know making this guy good right away and coaching him up and at least Elway being a mentor. I see him falling in love with Josh Allen's frame. I also can see him falling in love with Baker Mayfield's um, winning mentality and just what a dog he is. But I just think it's too high up at number five to take a chance on him um, for Elway. It just doesn't seem like an Elway move to me. For me, it just seems like Allen and him are a perfect fit and they'll continue to just see who's the best nod each week when it comes to Josh Allen or Simeon or um, Paxton Lynch. And I see Josh Allen developing very well there. But then again, we also talked about in the last podcast them being a very... Uh, possible suitor for Kurt Cousins, so I could see Broncos moving back or going defense here as well. But if it stays as is and they don't go for Kurt Cousins and they stay at five, I see them taking Josh Allen and falling in love with his frame. Yeah, that actually dovetails perfectly into my, my scenario. So for the Broncos, I am doing this thinking that they're going to get Kurt Cousins in the offseason. Otherwise, I think they go Allen here. And Christian, like you were talking about with Darnold, I mean, not Darnold, um, Rosen, 
That makes a lot of sense. I really like that. And I think that if they Rosen. miss out on Cousins, yeah, Rosen, Rosen going yeah. to the Broncos, if he, I think if they, he can fall I think they to make five. Him, well, I think they make a move up to make sure they get him. Yeah, I think they yeah, exactly. But, but in this mock, obviously no trades or anything. So I have the Broncos going with offensive guard. He can play tackle too, Quentin Nelson. Um, you look at what some of the scouts are saying after they've started to digest a little bit more film. A lot of people just had Saquon Barkley as the consensus best player in this draft, but you're starting to hear a little more rumblings about how Quentin Nelson could be the best player in this draft. And to get him at number five, the Broncos, assuming they get Kirk Cousins, they need a lot of help on the line. So Quentin Nelson would be a great addition to the team at five. So let's move on to number six, New York Jets. Christian, who's their pick? Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, I think that he, a lot of people on the big board have him with Saquon as like the best overall uh, player. Um, with Adams last year, when you if you, you have Adams who had a, a pretty good rookie year, you add Minka, I think uh, you create that defensive backfield identity of uh, just being terrible to throw the ball against. Uh, with no quarterbacks left, I don't see them uh, with really an offensive player to go in a direction. So might as well build on a, a solid defense that, you know, has a uh, Jamal Adams, uh, Leonard Williams from USC, who is just a, a monster, just scary human being. And, uh, I think you, that that's where they, they go forward with this I, is I, defense. I see what you mean. Uh, Fitzpatrick and Jamal Adams would be a scary one, two punch for safeties. For me, I know you said there wasn't a quarterback to take left. Uh, I have the quarterback for them to take Baker Mayfield, uh, I know he is slightly smaller than you hope for. I know that rich. I know that he's got some issues that you look at as well. So did Russell Wilson. So did a lot of these quarterbacks that have came in at a smaller size. But he's a competitor. He goes out and he wins games. Just seeing him play, I love the passion that he plays with. I think that it's going to be. I think he's a very Deshaun Watson s kind of competitor. Where in everyone was like, he won in college. Is he going to continue to win in? In uh, you know the NFL, and I think it showed that it was stupid not to take a chance on a competitor and go strictly with potential and everything like that. Because Deshaun Watson, if he didn't get injured last year, would have 100% been Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, so for me, I think Baker Mayfield is too talented to not take a chance on if you're the Jets. Uh, him in New York, it'd be an awesome place for him to be. High profile. Baker Mayfield's a perfect per- person to be there. I think the Jets at number six makes a ton of sense because. Josh Allen to the Broncos makes a ton of sense. But if the Broncos go elsewhere, of course, I see Josh Allen being number six to the Jets. But I just don't see Josh Allen playing as quickly as a lot of these guys because I see them using him as more of a project. And the Jets, that's why I think the Broncos make so much sense because they have such a good team there already and they really just need to figure it out again. But for a lot of these teams that are down here, they're down here all the time and they are sick and tired of it and need to find someone to contribute now. I think Baker Mayfield, if he's on the right team, can win games for you. And you, he, I think he can be a Russell Wilson. That's what I think is a very good contribute, like con- very uh, high compar- praise, very big comparison. But I really think that that's a perfect one. Yeah, I think Mayfield. I think someone's going to take a chance on him. I think in New York, though, just with the character concerns that have come out with him, he's nothing like Johnny Manziel, and some people right. want to try to nothing. compare him. That's an unfair comparison. Not even close. No. But still, him in New York, I don't know, I'd be a little wary about that. Luckily, in my mock draft, Josh Allen's still available, so I have the Jets going with him. Jets are in desperate need of a quarterback if they strike out on Kirk Cousins. Definitely going with the quarterback in the draft. So, yeah, I got Josh Allen, like we said. Little Raw needs some work. Um, 
but he can definitely develop, and uh, he'd be a good fit in New York with the Jets. So let's move on to number seven, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Christian, who do you have as their pick? I have them taking Quentin Nielsen at this point. Uh, Quentin Nelson? Offense, Nelson? Quentin Nelson, sorry. I uh, I suck at English. No, okay. um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, when whenever you have an offensive guard that plays offensive guard in college and you say can play, play as a tackle, uh, that is that is a pretty huge uh, praise. I really see him staying at offensive guard and basically being an all-pro, all, all if not one of the better offensive guards in the league. Tampa Bay needs to address... Uh, I think part of the reason why uh, their running game underperformed a little bit was their offensive line play. Ali Marpet was an uh, amazing uh, steal they got a couple years ago out of a Division Three Hobart. Um, I think they go offensive line. I think that's the uh, – you help Doug Martin a little bit. You help Jameis Winston in the pocket, and you let Mike Evans and Jordan Howard uh, do their thing. Uh, for me, at number seven, for the Bucks, I have who you said – Went to the Jets at number six. I have Minka Fitzpatrick, free safety out of Alabama, going number seven to the Bucks. Their defense is not very good, and their secondary is not very good, and that's plain and simple, and it hasn't been riddled by a ton of injuries. They're just not very deep, and they don't have a very good team, and they need to take the best available defensive player, in my opinion, and they really need some secondary help. So in my opinion, the best cornerback or free safety on the board and for me that's minka fitzpatrick who you went with at six he goes number seven to the buccaneers for me and at least starts to help them make some sort of identity on the defensive end uh, for uh for corbin who do you have going to the buccaneers i got minka, minka fitzpatrick as well uh you look at yeah. the buccaneers defense they need a lot of help like you were saying there are two safeties tj ward and chris conti ward was released by the broncos in the offseason there was some hope by Buccaneers fans and their personnel that he could make a difference there, but you could see his age started to show. Um, yeah, I just think Minka Fitzpatrick is a perfect fit for the Buccaneers to try to help them try to regain some ground on defense. So let's move to number eight, uh, Chicago Bears. Christian, who is your pick? Uh, I think it's Calvin Ridley. Uh, they Ever since Kevin, uh, Kevin White out of West Virginia, uh, They've needed wide receiver, and he severely underperformed in his time uh, in Chicago. So I think Calvin Ridley is the number one wide receiver at Alabama, and that's the that's the direction they go in. They need to help out Trubisky. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, eight at the Bears, I totally agree. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver out of Alabama, one of the best to ever play at Alabama, wide receiver. Um, Trubisky needs someone to pass to, and he has zero people there right now that can catch a football. And Calvin Ridley is going to be a perfect addition to his receiving core. He's already got running backs down. Jordan Howard, uh, Tariq Cohen, they both are perfect one-two punch in the backfield. They need to uh, just give Trubinsky some help. So I think Calvin Ridley is the clear answer for number eight Bears. What do uh, what do you think, Corbin, for number eight? At yeah, the Bears? so for number eight, I got the Bears taking an offensive tackle, Connor Williams from the uh, Texas Longhorns. They got a lot of help. I think Calvin Ridley at number eight, it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, he had a good good first year in Alabama, and then he kind of tapered off a little bit. Um, he's just a little too undersized for me to go that high. Um, yeah, I think Connor Williams, you get that offensive tackle in place to protect the quarterback that you invested so heavily in with trading up one pick to get him last year. Um, also create more running room for Jordan Howard and Tarek Cohen. Uh, I just think it's a... 
it's a pretty good match for the Bears for sure. So regardless, the three of us agree the Bears need offensive help, yeah. and they have good pieces there with Howard and Trubinsky, but not much besides that. So Calvin Ridley or offensive line help, whatever they do, I'd be shocked to see them take defense here at eight. So for number nine, I can, four, I can see them maybe go corner. You, know, you if they, maybe some cornerback help, but it's just they they really need to find a playmaker that's going to be able to help Trubinsky now, and they can always go corner later on for me. Right. Uh, so for uh, Christian, you can start off with number nine to the 49ers. I have Cortland Sutton out of a Southern Methodist. Wow. He uh, yeah, Corbin, who also took a stretch player at Connor Williams, is commenting now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the Ravens need the, the Ravens need to. Uh, also need wide receiver help. They also need to promote my friend uh, Tim White off the practice squad, who was a fan favorite preseason last year for the Ravens. They it's need uh, to give we're, him we're, a we're shot. We're, talk, we're, we're talking 49ers. 49ers. My bad. Oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, 49ers. We yeah. just had uh, Calvary leap to the Bears. Who's number nine for the 49ers? Yeah, sorry, 49ers. Uh, I had it written down differently. I also still have Corin Sutherland. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to need some help. Uh, throwing the ball to uh, Marquise uh, Goodwin. Goodwin. Yeah, Marquise yeah. Goodwin. Yeah, he's, yes, a, he's, a, he's okay. He's, he was okay, but he was their their shine. I would say their best receiver uh, on that team, and they need help on that offense. And uh, that that's the only clear clear choice for me because they have offensive line pretty set up. Carlos Hyde is a pretty good running back in my opinion. Uh, tight end and wide receiver is how they'd go forward and improve that offense in my opinion. Um, for them, Carlos Hyde can leave in free agency, so I debated going running back here. Uh, nobody was good enough to go for at nine unless somehow they got lucky with Saquon Barkley falling. For me, they need a little bit more offensive line help. They need uh, some guard help for sure, and it couldn't help to get a better offensive line for Garoppolo and maybe for Hyde or whoever's going to be behind there this next year. So I got Quentin Nelson going here. He's a little bit later than uh, you guys had him, but this is my first offensive lineman getting taken at number nine. Just too much quarterbacks needed and other help before here. So offensive guard at a Notre Dame, who is clearly the best offensive lineman and the first one taken from all three of us. Christian, uh, sorry, Corbin, who do you have for number nine of the 49ers? So this is going to surprise you guys a little bit, but I actually have them going defense. I have them going with a cornerback, Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. Okay. Depending on what you look at, it's either Denzel Ward or um, Josh Jackson from Iowa as the top corner in the draft. I think to take a wide receiver here, for me personally, I think it's still a little bit of a reach. And I think this wide receiver class, the top of the class, isn't any amazing prospects, but you can go down to the middle drafts, middle rounds, third, fourth round, maybe even second round, and get quality wide receivers. So I think they address that later on. They definitely need to. Um, but yeah, my pick's Denzel Ward. How about the defense? Um, and improve that side of the ball where they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. So, Christian, number 10 of the Raiders. Uh, I have Raekwon Smith out of Georgia. Um, he was the Dick Buckus Award winner, and he just screamed sideline to sideline linebacker, and he screamed someone who is a Raiders defensive player. He's a madman. He just is a perfect fit for them, and I think they go need to go defense. Um, their offense was a little bit of a misstep last year and very under impressed, was not impressed with them. But, uh, Raekwon Smith, I just envision him in a, in a Raiders Jersey. So 
that's my pick at number 10. What about you, Perry? Funny enough, I thought the same thing. Uh, I actually had him at the Raiders. Then after looking at it some more, I saw they really, really needed D-tackle help and that linebacker is already decent there, and they can address that later. So for me, I have Deron Payne, defensive tackle out of Alabama, going to the Raiders. He's massive. He's extremely quick for his size, and I think he's worthy of the Raiders here at number 10. He's the best D-tackle, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he, I have Deron Payne going there from Did Alabama. He, catch, he was the one who caught that touchdown. I believe, the, uh, I believe so. That was him. Yeah, I believe so. But, yeah, let's move on to uh, Corbin, number 10, Raiders. So I'm with Christian on this. I got Roquan Smith. Christian already pretty much explained right. everything about him. Uh, Raiders need a lot of help on defense. Um, I know they didn't get an interception until I think it was week 11 last year. And Roquan Smith won't be the one making interceptions. He might get some pressure on the quarterback. But they need help everywhere on defense. So, yeah, Roquan Smith, perfect fit for them. Let's move to number 11, Miami Dolphins. Christian, who's their pick? Number 11, sorry, I got switched up here. Number 11, I have him going Orlando Brown uh, out of Oklahoma. Uh, to me, he projects a little bit more as an offensive guard at first because his technical skill, uh, I'm an offensive lineman, so I'm going to get real nerdy into this, but the way he kicks steps and the way that he moves, he needs a little bit more time with a coach to really get down that fine-tune uh, edge rush, edge blocking skill. So I think him next to Laramie Tunsil, uh, Laramie Tunsil playing left tackle and him playing left guard would just be disgusting i think that would be uh they could run behind the left side every time they could pass protect keep ryan Tannehill safe um and eventually you can move him to right tackle and if you have laramie tells a left tackle orlando orlando brown at right tackle that is uh that is scary he's six foot eight they say 340 pounds but if you have eyes he looks 380 pounds this man is everyone's bully yeah. growing up he's he's a giant he's He's, he's massive. He's, he's absolutely I, massive. He's a boulder, and I was thinking the same thing. But yeah, uh, I took him over Connor uh, Williams because he doesn't have the injury history, and okay. he, I, I consider him a little bit more consistent in the sense that he has played more games and has consistently played better in those games where Connor Williams does play really, really well, but he has played games very poorly. He he's up and down. As, as uh, also with the fact that he gets injured. So he's inconsistent, and he also gets injured. So what about you, Perry, uh, I got, number 11? I, I have Connor Williams at number 11. Um, yeah, I have – it was between Connor Williams and Orlando Brown Jr. for me, but I like what I saw from Connor Williams in, at Texas. I think he's going to be their right tackle uh, for the Dolphins. They definitely need uh, offensive line help. So regardless of who they go, we are both in agreement that they need help on the offensive line. So let's move on to uh, Corbin for his pick for number 11 at the Dolphins. So I'm on the other side of the ball again. I got linebacker Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech. Um, Dolphins need help on the offensive line. I agree with you guys. They also need help on defense. Um, I just go linebacker here, and I think he fits in well with what they're trying to do. Uh, let's move on to number 12, the Cincinnati Bengals. Christian, who's your pick? So here's where I go, uh, Connor Williams. Uh, okay. This is a team where I see him uh, being more comfortable uh, playing. I think that they're going to double down and get rid of uh, A.J. McCarron, double down on uh, Andy Dalton this year. So I think they'll be able to spring some assets with that. Um, but Connor Williams uh, is a... I don't see him getting taken at 11, so I see him falling to 12, and I already gave you my rundown on him. So uh, 
Who do you take yeah, at 12? I mean, I just have the complete opposite flipped with Christian. At 11, I have Connor Williams. At 12, I have Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, the Bengals have the most offensive line needs out of any team in the league. Their offensive line was absolutely awful, and there is no other choice for them in a pick right now. I have no idea who Corbin picked, but I'd be shocked if it wasn't an offensive lineman of some sort. It's going to be defense. And I'm sure again. it's going to be, you know, it's. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a kicker. But <laughs> yeah, a I'm, I'm sure it's a punter out of Akron, but for. But for me, Bengals, Orlando Brown Jr., like you said, he's um, he's a boulder. He's one of the craziest athletic specimens I've seen in a while. He needs to fit into his body. Uh, that's the opposite of Connor Williams for me. I think he's got a little bit better of a skill set now. So Connor Williams at 11 to the Dolphins and Orlando Brown Jr. 12 to the Bengals. Uh, what about you, Corbin? Right. So, yeah, defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I agree. They need help on their line. Um, oh, they do. You look at the linebackers that they have. Aside from Vontez Perfect, they have absolutely right. no one. That's, um, that's so it's really a coin flip too. for me whether you want offensive line or linebacker. So I'm going linebacker or Sean Evans from Alabama, tackling machine, just like most linebackers out of Alabama. Um, I think he comes in and at the very least just gives you someone else to worry about from that linebacking core other than Vontez Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I think that makes sense for the Bengals. What about uh, 13 to the Redskins, Christian? Uh, Derwin James, after they lost Kendall Fuller in the Alex Smith trade, uh, they're going to be needing a little defensive help. Uh, Derwin James, um, unfortunately, uh, they were talking about him going into this year as one of the maybe the best Florida State players to come through there, and I think they squandered his last season there, ending up five and seven i can't remember what their horrible record was but derwin james uh i think is sliding a little bit because of the team he played for last year and he is going to be a steal at 13 for the redskins 13, he's a safety thir- yeah 13 at redskins i have the same reasoning with um kendall fuller being gone uh i have denzel ward from cornerback out of ohio state literally to fill that role that's he can play inside he can play outside you're literally replacing a player for me, and that's why I have them taking Denzel Ward from Ohio State. Okay, I have uh, safety Derwin James. Same reasoning as you two, losing Kendall Fuller. Derwin James, like you mentioned, Christian, before the year, he was thought of as one of the best prospects. And I think once the combine gets underway, he's a freak athlete. He's going to test really well. I think he's going to move up on a lot of boards, so... By the time the draft comes around, he probably won't be there at 13. But for the time being, I'll go with safety. Derwin James, um, uh, yeah, just fits perfectly with them losing Fuller. So let's move on to number 14, Green Bay Packers. Christian, who's their pick? Uh, At number 14, I have the Green Bay Packers selecting Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, Like you said earlier, he's from Virginia Tech. He plays linebacker. He doesn't overwhelm you too much in the pass rush but he gets you a boatload of tackles he is everywhere on the field and he comes out of a out of a school that gives you a lot of good defensive talent in virginia tech so i have the packers who need a lot of things around aaron Rodgers um on offense but i think their defense has been so poor as of late that you need to go uh with a linebacker at 14 what about you corbin because uh, i know the packers are yeah. your well i'm gonna go with corbin first because yeah. this is corbin's team yeah let's um, i'm just gonna throw my name yeah, out super quick and let corbin i'm going derwin james for the same reason you guys were talking about being a crazy talent and i think they need some back end help so Packers, Derwin James, Corbin, I'll let you run with it. I know you're a Packers fan. Yeah, so for any of you guys that don't know, I'm not just a Packers fan, actually. Packers owner, I have one share 
in the Green Bay Packers. Um, so get invited to their owner meetings every summer. Haven't been able to go yet, but I really want to. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Green Bay Packers, I got them selecting quarterback Josh Jackson out of Iowa. Like I mentioned earlier, you look at different draft boards, and it's kind of a toss-up between Josh Jackson and Denzel Ward for who's the best cornerback. Yeah. Packers need a ton of help. Aaron Rodgers is their entire team. Before he got injured, they were 4-1, and one, and they looked like they were going to be probably the number one seed in the NFC. And then he goes down, and they are just an absolute mess. Um, I think a pass rusher makes sense here as well. Um, but they do have um, Nick, Nick Perry and Clay Matthews, both out of USC, um, they've both struggled with injuries. If they can stay healthy, I think you can get enough out of there where you got to go secondary. Just their cornerback play was horrible last year. And the crazy thing is that if they do go with Josh Jackson, this would be three years in a row that they take a cornerback with their first pick last year. They traded out of the first the round King. to take, um, Kevin King right. at number 33, first pick in the second round. And the year before, their first pick was Demarius, Demarius Randall. Randall. Yeah. And then Josh Jones was their second pick, who's a safety. So they've been drafting a lot in the secondary, and they still need a lot of help. That talks to their inability to really um, develop players in their secondary. They also let Casey Hayward go, who's now one of the best cornerbacks in, in the, the league, league for the yeah. Chargers. They let him go in free agency for nothing. Um, so, yeah, Josh Jackson's my pick. Makes a lot of sense. I think could come in and would immediately be the number one cornerback on the roster unless they do go with a cornerback like Malcolm Butler or someone else in free agency. They have a new GM, so that's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. He's reportedly going to be much more active in free agency than Ted Thompson, who is historically known for not going after anyone in free agency except if it's someone who was cut by another team so that they don't have to surrender a draft pick to sign them. Um, so, yeah, Josh Jackson's the pick. Let's move to number 15, Arizona Cardinals. Christian, who's your pick for them? So this is where I feel like Baker Mayfield uh, falls, or not falls, but rises to 15. Um, he, I don't see him a top 10 quarterback. I think the Cardinals are the first team that meets the metric of draft pick to need. Uh, Carson Palmer being gone, they they have a 100% need at quarterback. Baker Mayfield, all the upsides you guys said earlier, he's a competitor, throws the ball down the field, has a little bit of off-the-field problems, doesn't personally scare me, but that with his height, uh, I think, knocks him out of the top 10, and I think it's a perfect uh, match for the Cardinals at 15. I see, I see what you're talking about. They uh, they need a lot of offensive line help, a ton. They're right behind the Bengals for the team, in my opinion, that need the most offensive line help. Uh, Seahawks. I have, I have that. Uh, Seahawks as well, you're right. They have. Uh, I have the Cardinals taking Mike McGlinchey, uh, offensive tackle out of Notre Dame. Um, yeah, just another part of that Notre Dame line that was so amazing last year with Quentin Nelson and, of course, with him as well, Mike McGlinchey. He's their uh, tackle, Nelson being their guard. So I think McGlinchey's there uh, is the best, is the most talented lineman after Nelson, Williams, and Brown, and they need a ton of offensive line help. So I have McGlinchey going there at 15. Yeah, I got Baker Mayfield going number 15 of the Cardinals. He is... A really good fit for them at number 15. Last year, I was thinking they were going to try to get uh, Patrick Mahomes, which would have made sense with Bruce Arians. That's what I thought, Vertical too. offense. Yeah. Now Arians isn't there anymore. They got a new head coach in. Um, Palmer's retired. Quarterback, when you don't have a quarterback, 
that is the player that you need to get in the draft because your whole team revolves around him. You don't go anywhere without a quarterback. And it's Baker hard it's Mayfield. hard to find a quarterback that can win you games yeah, the way you Baker, want. Baker Mayfield is someone who, even though he is a little bit undersized, he has an incredible amount of talent. You yeah. see it with every game. I think he's going to be a really good player in the NFL with whichever team gives him a chance. And in this scenario, it's the Cardinals. So yeah. number 16, Baltimore Ravens. Christian, who's their pick? Um, I had them going with a linebacker out of Boston College, Harold Landry. When I watched him on film, he seems like the type of psycho that I want on my defense. Um, It's a little bit of a rise. I see him in most mock drafts being towards like the bottom 32 to 25 being picked. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't even have him in my first round. Yeah, um, I like him because of his psychoticness. I think that he can really change a defense and he's a little bit I have a couple linebackers I have another linebacker coming up that I think is severely uh being undervaluated in this draft and I think he's one of them uh the Ravens have a boatload of things they need to get fixed I think they're actually closer to a rebuild stage than uh an ascension type stage so I have them going linebacker at uh at this pick what Um, about you Perry for me they need a ton of receiver help and it's just clear for me. It has to be Cortland Sutton out of SMU. He's still on the board for me. Uh, he is the second best receiver for me behind Calvin Ridley. I think you both can probably agree. Uh, so yeah, Cortland Sutton, SMU is going to go to the Ravens at 16. Yeah, so number 16, I went wide receiver also. Uh, Calvin Ridley still available in my mock draft, so I have the Ravens going with him. They need a lot of help at wide receiver. Ridley is someone who is a very explosive athlete and can really help uh, Joe Flacco. Um, so yeah, Calvin Ridley. Let's go to number seventeen, Los Angeles Chargers. Still kind of weird to say Los Angeles. Chargers. Yeah, it's nice to say. Yeah, that. Christian, who's your pick? I have them taking Mike McClinley here. Uh, I think the Chargers Mc- are more. McClinchy. Uh, McClinchy. Okay, Jesus cool. Christ, this is gonna be a long day. No, it's a hard last name. <laughs> it took me a second to master that one. Um. So yeah, I I feel like they're the more put together version of the Ravens. You have. Uh, more production out of uh, Philip Rivers than you are getting out of uh, Joe Flacco. I almost forgot his name. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, they need offensive lineman help. That has been a position that they've spent money and done very horribly at yeah. since I've been a kid. Um, so I think, like you said, he's an offensive lineman that kind of ranks number third, but his upside is that he is a very good pass blocker, and this is a pass blocking league. So I think that he has tremendous upside. For, it's it's going to be a really good fit for him at 17 to the Chargers. Yeah. What about you, Perry? Um, I like that. Uh, but for me, it's a coin flip between how much help they need on uh, their offensive line and between their linebacking core, which is awful in its own. So um, Roquan Smith here, I see him being the answer for them on linebacker. Uh, to add with Ingram, and he's he's going to be really good there. Roquan Smith, I know I agreed with you guys. He's seems like a really good pick for the Raiders, and if I had to put him anywhere else, it'd probably be up there. But I have him sliding a little bit just because the Raiders need some desperate D-line help, and they take uh, Deron Payne. But I have the next available person that needs a, a linebacker severely in my eyes at 17, Roquan Smith going to the Chargers. What about you, Corbin? I'm in agreement with Christian. I got them going after or taking Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame, the offensive tackle. You look at their offensive line, aside from Forrest Lamp, who had a good, solid year, rookie year. Um, yeah, they don't really have anything else promising going forward along that offensive line. So get Mike McGlinchey in there and start to 
start to have your offensive line take shape as far as the future goes. You got two building blocks there. Right. Let's go to number 18, Seattle Seahawks. Christian, who's your pick? So I, this is going to be surprising to say, this is my first of two UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio players I have going in the first round. So, So the first one I have is Marcus Davenport. He plays defensive end and he gets comparisons to Miles Jack, which is incredible for him uh, being out of such a small school. The Seahawks are close to a rebuild on the defensive line outside of uh, Sheldon Rankins and Martellus Bennett. Uh, They need some help. So I think that Marcus Davenport is a guy that is extremely talented, comes out of a small school, and fits into their their defensive scheme perfectly. I think it's a slam dunk hit at number 18 with Marcus Davenport. What about you, Perry? Um, They need some help uh, for for their offensive line big time. Oh, yes. Uh, and, a, and a fun fact for people, the Seahawks have been the team that has spent the least on offensive line in the past five seasons. They have historically paid the least amount of money, and that is uh, – they're not doing justice to Russell Wilson. That yeah, man, thank God and, that man is fast. Exactly. And you know what a big fan I am of Russell Wilson. He was uh, my fantasy quarterback this year, and I just believe he's one of the best in the league. But I have uh, Billy Price from Ohio State. He can play center and he can play guard. They need some serious help, and he's extremely versatile on the offensive line. Uh, it's just a perfect fit because they need help at both positions that he can play, and I think he can come in and fill an immediate role. What about you, uh, Corbin? Yeah, I have the Seahawks going with the running back, Darius Geis out of LSU. Wow. Um, I, thought, oh. I, I thought about maybe Orlando Brown um, and then just putting him in at offensive guard. Um, especially okay. after they added Dwayne Brown at uh, their tackle position. but He's getting old, though. Yeah, true. But um, I just think, like you were saying earlier, Christian, with running backs, you look at them, and once you add a good running back to your team, that can propel you all the way to the playoffs. I know the Seahawks are already a playoff-caliber team. Um, Russell Wilson needs some help. You look at that offense. Jimmy Graham's going to be a free agent. Uh, he could easily be gone this offseason. They haven't had a running back in there since Marshawn Lynch. They thought Eddie Lacy could maybe be the next Marshawn Lynch, but he was just out of shape and did not care to get into shape. Uh, yeah, Darius Geis is the pick for me, and I think that he can work very well in that backfield. Let's go to number 19, Dallas Cowboys. Christian, who's your pick? Uh, I think they take Vita Vea. Uh, I know Perry's going to disagree with me because he has a, a taco uh, crush. I don't think taco charlatan... Uh, is any kind of uh, did, did well at all. Uh, I think they need defensive line help beyond other things, quarterback. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Vita Vea would be a slam dunk pick. I think he's a player uh, also that is very, very raw, needs a little time to hone in, and he could be a, a better pick. He, if he had different coaches, maybe he'd be a top 10 pick, but he's so raw, and I see the Cowboys as a team that's not going to pass up a raw player like that, that they can develop and make a this is the type of pick that Dallas Cowboys live for. They live for a player like this that they can put a little bit of work in and you know get a top 10 pick at number 19. Yeah. So what about you, Perry? Uh, I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. I'm actually in complete agreement with you. I, I am a Taco Charlton fan. I'm not huge on him. I think he, I didn't, he wasn't the answer last year. They brought him in to be one of the contributors on this defensive line. It wasn't him to make a big difference right away. It was part of their long-term plan, like with DeMarcus... Lawrence and David Irving, all these guys that 
weren't high profile guys. They were trying to make a extremely good, consistent unit all the way around on the defensive line instead of just having a star or two. So I agree with you. I have them taking Vita Vea also. Uh, I'm a Cowboys fan, if you guys didn't know. I'm just letting you know he's the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And so, yeah, I'd see him going to the Cowboys, and I think that'd be a great pick. Yeah, I got the Cowboys going with a wide receiver, Christian Kirk out of Texas A&M. Christian Kirk is a ridiculous athlete, explosive, very fast. Um, the Cowboys situation at receiver, they got Des Bryant, who could or could not be on the team next year. He has the fourth largest cap hit at, I believe, $13.2 million this upcoming year of any wide receiver. Um, his performance does not show that he should be anywhere near that. Um, I think if they do release him, even if they don't, Christian Kirk would just be a dynamic athlete for them to have something to help Des, um, not Des Bryant, Dak Prescott, um, help him try to complete a few more passes. He really struggled without Zeke there. Um, so, yeah. Good really struggled. Yeah. Uh, so, Christian, number 20 to the Lions, who do you have? I have Deron Payne. Uh you had uh, Patricia coming in. He's a defensive guy. Deron Payne could be taken earlier than this. I saw the natural progression of him falling at 20, and that's a match made in heaven right there with his new coach. Yeah, I got Payne at 10 to the Raiders, as you guys know. For me, at 20, I have Darius Geis uh, running back at LSU. I don't think Abdullah or uh, Reddick are the answer there. I think they're serviceable backs, but they're – not what they're looking for, and behind Stafford, they really need to try and find a home run hitter when it comes to a running back. So I think Darius Grice or Geis would be a, a great pick for them. Yeah, I understand your reasoning with the running back, Terry, because I don't think either one of them are the long-term answer either with Abdullah or Riddick. Um, I'm going with Vita Vea. You guys both had him going to the Cowboys. Uh, you look at Matt Patricia coming in, defensive guy. You already got Ashawn Robinson on the defensive line. Haloti Nada is on the team, but he's going to be 34 next year. Don't know if he's going to be back. I think you pair up Vea with Ashawn Robinson on the interior of your defensive line and just let them go to work in Matt Patricia's defense. Yeah, let's do these. Uh, let's do these next two together. Uh, they're both Bills picks back to back, 21 and 22. I want to hear both your picks, Christian. Uh, yes, I have Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. Also, like Deron Payne, he might be a little bit low in my draft. Um, this is also the first uh, cornerback I have taken as well. I see this cornerback class being a little bit subpar in a couple, as in comparison to recent years, so right. that's why my first one comes at 21. But the Bills could upgrade at defense. Um, they are a pretty well-put-together team now that we start getting to the lower picks of uh, the the lower picks, these teams are winning more games. Uh, I think Denzel Ward could really make that defense even scarier uh, than it has been in the past. And then uh, at 22, I have them uh, going with a quarterback, Lamar Jackson. They've shown that they don't have 100% faith in Tyrod Taylor. And uh, Lamar Jackson, if, if they see enough in Tyrod Taylor to keep him, I think Lamar Jackson can do what Tyrod Taylor does with better. And I think that Lamar Jackson can learn from Tyrod Taylor's efficiency and uh, pick and choose passes. And I think that that would be a, a really good match uh, yeah. with Lamar, or, uh, Josh, uh, Lamar Jackson. I apologize. Josh yeah. Jackson's name is just underneath him. So it's going to be a little good, confused. Yeah. So Lamar Jackson moving pretty high on Christian's board. Uh, for me, 21-22 for the Bills. I have them going defense for both. 
Maurice Hurst, defensive tackle from Michigan, and Marcus Davenport, someone that you just touched on, Christian, and Ed Rusher from UTSA, a smaller school, but good for him. Uh, Got Miles Jack comparisons as well. So Maurice Hurst, uh, Marcus Davenport, going to really, really help that pass rush for uh, for the Bills next year. Yeah, so my, my two picks for the Bills, so at 21, I got them going with center Billy Price out of Ohio State. He won the award, I forgot what it's called, in college football for the best center. Um, he had actually flipped over from, I believe it was offensive tackle the year guard, before, guard. or offensive guard, okay. Um, and he had a really impressive year with Ohio State. They also, the Bills need to fill their center position after Eric Wood had to retire because of neck injuries. They were kind of blindsided by that. He was 30, 31 years old, thought they'd have him for a few more years, so rebuild with Billy Price in the draft. 22, I also have them taking defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, just like you, Perry, out of Michigan. Um, They traded away Marcel Darius in what was kind of a questionable move, Um, definitely Jaguars are happy about that. He's been helping them. So yeah. now they got to find um, find his replacement. So Maurice Hurst is a good pick for them at 22. 23 to the Los Angeles Rams. Christian, who do you have? At 23, I have Josh Jackson out of Iowa. Um, he's, he's a pretty solid baller cornerback. Uh, the Rams could use a little bit more defensive help. Uh, their defensive line is stout. Their linebackers are okay. I really see cornerback as the one yeah. position where they can really upgrade and make that – because it, it – in football, you either have the, the, the defensive backs hold the receivers long enough to get a sack, or your D-line is so so good that it makes up for having uh, kind of bad cornerbacks. And I see that if they go with the cornerback at this pick, they'll have defense that can cover, and they'll have Aaron Donald up front that can get after the quarterback. So I think that adding that element to their defense just just makes it that much better. I what about you, Perry? The same player for the same reason. Joshua Jackson, a cornerback out of Iowa. They need some serious help for their corners. The rest of their defense is pretty good. But yeah, Joshua Jackson's a perfect fit for the Rams. Yeah, number 23, I have Isaiah Oliver, another cornerback. Um, he's from Colorado. Uh, the Rams, their secondary, they got a lot of people that might not be back next year. Three of their four starters. Their safety, LaMarcus Joyner, and then their top two corners, Tremaine Johnson and Nickel Roby-Smith, they are all free agents this offseason. Uh, Tremaine Johnson was franchise tagged last year. They could franchise tag one of them, but you can only franchise tag one player per year in the NFL. Um, Tremaine Johnson kind of had a underwhelming year compared to how he played um, the last few years, so definitely need some help in the secondary, so... Isaiah Oliver for my pick for the Rams. Let's move on to number 24 and at 24, the Carolina Panthers. Who's your pick, Christian? I have Ronnie Harrison, a strong safety at Obama. Uh, not, he's not a cover person like Josh Norman, but their defense has been lacking since Josh Norman. Uh, Ronnie Harrison, I think, would work well with Luke Keekley in the fact that they move very fast and they hit very hard. Uh, I think pairing them together would... Uh, you could promote the culture that the that the Panthers' defense will hit you in the mouth. And I think that Ronnie Harrison would be a player who would help you perpetuate that culture within their defense. Uh, I what have, about you, Perry? I have Christian Kirk, wide receiver at a Texas A&M. They need some help um, with um, their receiving core there. They thinned out a little bit last year, and they have really good skilled players just like um, 
Um, just like who they got out of Stanford last year, someone you might, guys might know, someone that was on your fantasy team. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, they got Curtis as well, Curtis Samuel from Ohio State. So just receivers slash running backs that are extremely good. And uh, Christian Kirk can do both as well. Uh, so, yeah, Christian, Christian Kirk is going to be a great addition to the Panthers wide receiver core. I have the Panthers selecting Orlando Brown out of Oklahoma. You guys both had him going a lot higher. Again, just massive player, massive frame. Um, the Panthers, they already ha- need help along their offensive line. Andrew Norwell, who is their starting guard, he's a free agent, so he might be on the move. He's one of the best guards in football, so if they lose him, they're going to need even more help. And Orlando Brown, like you said, Christian, um, could start out at offensive guard and then work his way to offensive tackle. So I think that's a perfect fit for the Panthers. Let's move on to number 25, Tennessee Titans. Christian, who's your pick? Uh, at 25, I have Andre Key at LSU. I think that they have a little bit oh, of a get Arden, the- Arden Key. Uh, Arden Key. Arden Key. Arden Key. See, uh, see the names against me. Uh, <laughs> so Arden Key. I think they have a pass rushing problem against the quarterback problem. They do. Uh, Arden Key has the Ed Ogeron stamp of approval. Uh, Ed Ogeron works with all of the defense. Even though he's the head coach, he's a defensive line specialist and an edge rushing specialist. So if he gets the Ed Ogeron stamp of approval, I think he's good enough to take in the first round. So at 25, Arden Key. Uh, I got Sam Hubbard, edge out of Ohio State. I like his presence and his speed on the edge. Uh, Just like you said, Titans need some help getting to the quarterback. So I think he's a good fit. Okay. And number 25, I got Marcus Davenport. You guys both mentioned him earlier out of University of Texas, San Antonio. It's pretty raw right now, but you look at the body that he has. Um, he just has all the measurables you look for in someone that you want to get after the quarterback. So Titans are in need of a lot of help uh, for a pass rushers. So Marcus Davenport's a good fit for them at 25. Let's go to number 26, Atlanta Falcons. Christian, who's your pick? I have Maurice Hurst out of Michigan. Uh, I think you need to pair someone with, now I'm going to mess up his name, Tricaris McKinley. Uh, yeah, I think that... Yeah, you got that. Trica- I, did I get it right? Oh, sweet. Yeah. Okay, so... You can just say Pat McKinley if you want. Yeah, let's shorten yeah. his attack. One blonde red. Um, but <laughs> I think that pairing him next to uh, McKinley would be an amazing idea. Um, maybe cornerback, but I don't see anybody at this late in the draft they could get. Um, even though Robert Alford from Southeastern is dear to my heart, I think they need to upgrade at cornerback coming pretty soon. Um, but at 26, Maurice Hurst. What about you, Barry? Yeah, another former teammate of Christian's uh, who plays for the Falcons. But for me, I have... Wasn't my direct teammate, but he, he had played in my school. Someone who played out of school, but someone that he knows. Um, so I got Isaiah Wynn, uh, offensive guard and offensive tackle. He can play both out of Georgia. Was one of the lead, if not their best lineman on that line last year, and really was a key part of them making a championship run, going to the championship. But uh, of course, not enough. But he was a big part, and I like him there for the Falcons, who need some offensive line help. Yeah, I agree with you, Perry. I'm going with Isaiah Wynn. Christian, I think it makes sense to go after a defensive tackle for them. They are possibly losing Don Terry Poe. He could leave after this year in free agency um but they need help along the offensive line they were riddled with a lot of injuries this past year isaiah Wynn can come in he's a uh, homegrown kid from state of georgia right ready to be playing with the falcons yeah um, but he's also a perfect fit for them he's a really good offensive lineman and the best one available for them so they go with isaiah win uh, let's go to number 27 new orleans saints christian who's your pick so uh, I have a star by this one. It's Malik Jefferson, the linebacker at Texas. 
Now, this is a kid that I watched ever since 2015 when I was just a junior college kid trying to get an offer. Uh, he's someone that is a linebacker that is special to me. I don't see – I mean, I have a little bit of bias because I, I think he plays so well that he is higher than 27. But at 27, the Saints are going to get a steal linebacker. They're pretty stacked on their defense. Linebacker, middle linebacker is somewhere that they could improve drastically at. And Malik Jefferson is a vet. He started ever since he was a true freshman. He uh, – is a Charlie Strong guy, worked very close to Charlie Strong and uh, loves the kids. So I think Malik Jefferson is the right move. And I hate the Saints, and it actually pisses me off they would get such a good player. But it's a perfect fit, and I hope it happens for Fit's sake. Uh, what about you, Perry? Uh, I really like the Saints team. Uh, I know I speak about them very highly on both ends. They're young, as with a good mix of veteran players as well. So they got a good mix there. But I see them having uh, taking Tremaine Edmonds, uh, linebacker out of Virginia Tech, who I believe you both have already taken off your boards. Uh, but for me, it was just, um, I mean, linebackers, I didn't fare as well this year for me. I had Roquan Smith all the way at 17, and now I have uh, Tremaine Edmonds at 27. So, But I do have a... Two more, or I have another two linebackers after this as well towards the end of my first round. But yeah, I don't, they're very, it's a very good match for the Saints. They need linebacker help, just like I see where you're coming from with Malik Jefferson. It's the same idea for me with Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, I have the Saints going after or getting Malik Jefferson from Texas. And I agree with you, Christian. If they somehow are able to pick him at number 27 they should be doing backflips because this is a perfect fit for them. As the draft combine goes on, I think that Malik Jefferson is going to impress a lot of people, and I doubt that he's going to be there at 27, but this is my favorite pick in my entire mock draft. I think this is the best fit that you could possibly look for. Um, I really like this pick. So Malik Jefferson, 27 of the Saints. Let's go to number 28, Pittsburgh Steelers. Christian, who's your pick? So I have Rashawn Evans mm -hmm. out of Alabama. Um, unfortunately, Ryan Chazier suffered an injury that we don't know. Uh, puts his future in uh, kind of ambiguity, and we have no clue what is going to happen. So I think they go with uh, a linebacker here. Also, uh, a stat that I saw at a 247 Sports, uh, the Steelers have taken a linebacker in one of the first four rounds of the draft for the past five years. So with that stat, along with the need, I think they go linebacker here. Yeah, I have the complete agreement with you. I have the same player, Rashawn uh, Evans. I think this might be my favorite pick of the draft. It's perfect for the Steelers. He's going to step in perfectly for Shazier, and he's going to play right away and contribute, and he's going to help this uh, defense that has a new defensive coordinator and needs to uh, create a new identity. What about you for, uh, for your number 28, Corbin? I have the Steelers going safety here. Safety, Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama. Uh, Christian, you touched on him earlier about just what a hard hitter he is, and he's um, someone who makes sense for the Steelers with linebacker. I gave it some thought. I think it's just you don't know for certain if Shazier isn't going to be back. He started walking. Hopefully he does come back. Uh, maybe you probably address linebacker in round two or three, but Steelers need a lot of help with safety too. They got yeah. uh, Mike Mitchell, who is okay other than him they really don't have anyone back there so get ronnie harrison in who can start to bring back that steel curtain type of hard-hitting defense and just start to put some fear into the um opposing offense so let's okay. go to number 29 jacksonville jaguars we got um christian who's your pick at 29 i have been taking billy price uh, the center guard of ohio state um along with laramie T uh, not laramie tunsil sorry uh 
Cam Robinson, I feel like they uh, are almost there with the offensive line of their future, so Billy Price would be the move for me. Yeah, I have Billy Price already off the board, so I have Will Hernandez, offensive guard at a UTEP, another smaller school. But yeah, Jaguars take advantage of him, who is a diamond in the rough. Yeah, I have the Jaguars getting quarterback Lamar Jackson from Louisville. Ooh. Yeah, I think he just adds another wrinkle to their offense. Not a great passer. Um, I mean, he can get a lot better. He has a really strong arm, though. Um, you think he becomes like a Denard Robinson and well, ends up becoming an offensive weapon at some point? And no, like I think he's a, a much more skilled passer than Denard Robinson ever was. Denard Robinson did not have close to the arm that Lamar yeah. Jackson has. I think we've seen what the Jaguars can do, how far they can get with someone who can't really throw the ball and Blake Bortles. Lamar Jackson might not be much better of a passer at this stage in his career, but the run. running game, yeah. Blake Bortles had more rushing yards than passing yards totally. in the, um, the first playoff game that they had against the Bills. You have Lamar Jackson out there running instead of Blake Bortles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, seriously. Yeah, so, I, I really like that. Christian, game. who do you have for 30 to the Vikings? At 30, I have Willie Hernandez out of UTEP, my second yeah. UTEP player. Yeah. Uh, his offensive coordinator was Frank Cephalo, who is now the head coach here at Southeastern Louisiana, uh, where I go to school. Um, he is a really bang-up player. I think he kind of is forced lamp in the way that he is coming from a small school and I think will come in and do a great job in the pro level, uh, regardless of coming from, from a, such a small school. Uh, Shouts out to UTSA in their recruiting class uh, for getting two guys in the first round you know, four years later. Because these aren't, uh, UTSA isn't a place where guys leave in three years. You know, they, they stay for four years. So, shouts out to them. I believe it. I, I thought it was from UTEP. But regardless, if it's UTSA or UTEP, they're both two smaller schools. And I have Will Hernandez as a diamond in the rough uh, for my last pick, of course. But for the Vikings, I have them taking Lamar Jackson here. I think that is actually where Kirk Cousins is going to end up for free agency but not using that as a factor for me and just in case they don't i have them taking a chance on lamar jackson here late in the first round because they don't have a ton of um holes to fill and i think quarterback is a area that they can add to definitely with both of their or i believe it's all three of the quarterbacks on the roster right now all at the end of their contract yeah, so it's definitely and even if it's going to be your backup to a Kirk cousins for example and he develops under him Regardless, I think Lamar Jackson is a good pick right here for the Vikings. What about you, Corbin? Yeah, so Will Hernandez was um, or is from UTEP, um, both small yeah, schools. Yeah, my, my apologies. Both, yeah, no, both small schools in Texas. Um, yeah, number 30 with the Vikings. I got them going after an offensive tackle. Their line needs a lot of help. Uh, Chuck Luma Okorafor from Western Michigan. He was someone who, before the year started, um, he was thought of as one of the best linemen in college football, even though he did come from a small school we saw. Corey Davis, his former teammate from Western Michigan, get picked uh, number six overall to the Titans in last year's draft. Okorafor, he's someone who is a really big offensive lineman, and he's someone who you put him on the Vikings. They got Dalvin Cook. um, They got Latavius Murray. They got a strong running game going there. Jarek McKinnon, too. Um, He's someone that you can definitely run behind at the very least, so he makes sense for them at number 30. Let's go to number 31, New England Patriots. Christian, who's your pick? So they as well have a gets the quarterback problem. They've played pretty well defensively. I think that has more to do with cornerback and defensive coordinator play. So I, at 31, have Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Um, In my draft, he's available, and he's the best best edge rusher left available. So he's my pick at 31. Yeah, um, I have Hubbard going to the Titans at 25. For me, at the Patriots, 
a little bit of a surprise for you guys. I have a back-to-back quarterbacks after Lamar Jackson to the Vikings. Patriots take Mason Rudolph, quarterback out of Oklahoma State. Uh, he's six foot five, two hundred and thirty pounds. Has a perfect quarterback build, in my opinion. I think he's a better quarterback now than Josh Allen is. Uh, Josh Allen has way better potential and ceiling than Mason Rudolph does. But if you're talking about someone to come in now and back up Tom Brady and be there as a potential um, as the you know, the second coming for Tom Brady, uh, who knows? It could be Mason Rudolph, but I see them him coming in. He's a great fit for this offense. He's a pocket passer with a good arm, and I see him developing very well under Tom Brady. And they need some. They need a backup quarterback. So. Hey, he put up 61 points against me two years ago, so he's the real deal. Yeah, Mason Rudolph is good. Um, but, yeah, what about you, Corbin, to the Pats? I have the Patriots going defense, too. I, You look at that defense, and they should not have been nearly as good as they were. I think a lot of that just speaks to how good of a defensive coordinator Matt Patricia is. Yep. But they have absolutely no pass rush at all. So I'm going with outside linebacker, edge rusher, um, Arden Key from LSU. Christian, you talked a lot about him and how – um, he's just got the um, Ed Ogeron stamp of approval, so it makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, we have Arden Key and Hubbard switch in ours. Yeah, I yeah. and I, I actually have Arden Key. Uh, he doesn't make my first round. He was the one player that I debated for this last pick to the Eagles. I just didn't see him as a great fit to the Eagles for me. Right. So he'll probably be like my first or second pick of the second round if we end up doing a mock draft for that. But um, for me, Eagles, I go with a player that uh, is still on my board, definitely not on yours, but one of my favorite picks as well, Malik Jefferson uh, for Texas. He ends the first round for me going to the Eagles. I think they need a little bit of linebacker help, not as much as other teams, but he can definitely fill one role that they have there outside linebacker. So I think uh, Malik Jefferson, or sorry, middle linebacker, I think Malik Jefferson is a great pick for the Eagles and will help them on their defense. And yeah, that's pretty much it. My I think Malik Jefferson is very underrated, though. Okay, Christian, who's your pick for the Eagles? At 32, I have an offensive lineman none of you guys have mentioned yet, Brian O'Neill out of Pitt. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, Peters, their left tackle, is getting kind of old, and there's rumors that they're uh, looking to trade him or cut him because it would save them in the ballpark of $5.3 million if they cut him, even more if they trade him. So I see him being gone next year and them needing uh, offensive tackle. Uh Lane Johnson has done so well at right tackle. I really see him staying there. Brian O'Neill is someone who is very, very raw, but at left tackle, you need pass protection, and he is a pass protector. So I think with his raw ability to pass protect and his ability to need to work a little bit on his run blocking, uh, the championship team would be an easy slot for him to come in, uh, learn how to run uh, run block a little more effectively, and already have that pass blocking ability under his, under his belt. Yeah. What about you, Kirk? Okay. Um, yeah, number 32, Philadelphia Eagles last pick in the first round. I have them going with a linebacker, Leighton Vander Esch. I hope I got his name right. Out of Boise State, Eagles have a lot of skill at a lot of different positions. It's hard to find a weakness on that roster. Um, Jason Peters, yeah, he had some injuries. He was injured um, for most of this year, including the end of this year on the Super Bowl run, so I could see them trying to replace him at left tackle. Um, but middle linebacker is really the one spot on their roster where they don't really have much. Um, so I think that Van Der Esch can go in there um, and probably be a starter right away from day one and hopefully for them make a difference right away from day one. So we'll just see how that goes. So that's our mock draft for this podcast. We'll probably be doing at least one or two more mock drafts before the 
actual draft Definitely. does occur. Um, probably do another one after the draft combine. Going to be some shakeups based on how different players test, some doing well, some underperforming, so we'll just have to wait and see. Right. Congrats um, to uh, one of the prospects we brought up today, the first one to sign with a company, uh, Saquon Barkley, signed with Nike today, so congratulations to him, uh, athlete from Rock Nation, so the first athlete out of this group to officially sign. But yeah, great. I really enjoyed doing this mock draft with you guys. Hopefully we get to do a few more before uh, the actual draft happens, and we'll see how much it changes depending on workouts, all that stuff. But, you know, guys, please take a look at our Twitter page, NFL Unwrapped. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at our other podcast, we also do one for the Basketball NBA Unwrapped. So go take a look at that Twitter as well and go hear that podcast if you like basketball. But if you're uh, here for football, really hope you guys enjoyed this one. We had a ton of fun with Episode 2, uh, working off the Super Bowl. I know last week's was so fun introducing you guys to this new podcast for us and again it's so great having christian on part of the unwrapped family makes such a difference yes i love being part of the unwrapped family thank you for bringing me in on my yeah it's on my own thing it's so great so yeah just thank you guys so much for tuning in sorry that these podcasts are running a little bit longer we have so much to talk about right now but really full of amazing content so if you give it a chance to listen to the whole thing you won't regret it so thank you guys so much again for being part of the unwrapped family and tuning in uh, as of this week, you guys can go check us out on iTunes. We are officially on there. If not, check us out on SoundCloud, both NBA, uh, for, sorry, NFL Unwrapped. Go check out our <laughs> other one, NBA Unwrapped as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning into episode two. I'm Perry Aston, joined by, as always, my two co-hosts, Corbin Weinerman and Christian McGowan. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really appreciate all your support. Yeah. Any last words for you guys? Yeah, just thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope you guys listen in again next week when we'll have another fun episode for you guys.